This is Monty in the Morning, the show Phoenix Magazine readers voted number one talk radio show in Arizona. Number one during your morning commute. Number one whenever news breaks during your day. And number one whenever and wherever you want to talk sports. Now it's time for Monty in the Morning. Hey, yo, man, how the heck are you? It's Monday, August 29th. 2022, we are just five days away from kickoff in the college football season. No, you don't care. Hi, Jake. Hi. I was going to ask you, how excited are you more about college football or the fact that a week from now we'll be in Hawaii? Oh, more excited about Hawaii. Come on. Without a shout. Idiots. Uh, We'll talk about all that coming up on the show. Hey. Guy Holiday is going to join us in about 90 minutes, the former BYU and Utah wide receiver coach. Uh, he'll join us to talk about what's going on at BYU because this situation on Friday night with Duke Volleyball at BYU is a big, big deal. Is BYU a racist institution? Is BYU battling race? And is there a perception versus reality issue in Provo? We're going to talk a lot about that. Guy Holiday at 8 o'clock. By the way, new reports over the weekend that are old. Yeah. The Lakers are desperate to be the third team in a Knicks versus Jazz trade. Have, does that sound remotely for I mean, uh, you know. You know. We'll talk about all that coming up on the show. But first, we need to remind you that we are giving away a trip for two to see BYU and Notre Dame at the Shamrock Series in Las Vegas on October 7th and 8th. We've got two nights at the uh, Palms Casino Resort and Hotel. It is going to be amazing. Um, We are giving you two tickets to the game to see BYU and Notre Dame at Allegiant Stadium and a $250 Maverick gas card to get you there. And it's all brought to you by our good friend, Devery Davis at Academy Mortgage. Now, don't forget... I know the mortgage rates have fluctuated, but housing prices are down. Inventory is up. That means there are a lot of opportunities for you to finally get into that house you've been trying to buy. There's nobody better to do that with than Devery Davis at Academy Mortgage, 801-543-9666. So you might be asking yourself, how do I win this trip? Mm -hmm. Well, all you have to do is go to Barbecue Pit Stop, any of their five Utah locations, including Logan, Layton, Lehigh, St. George, and our good friends in Murray. And I can tell you, man, the smoker fired up over the weekend. We smoked some pizza from Papa Murphy's. Yes. We're going to have Papa Murphy's Pizza at Barbecue Pit Stop in Lehigh on the 17th of September which is when we're going to give away that trip. See, we're going to watch the BYU and Oregon game. We're going to do our football Saturday show there. We're going to fire up the smokers. We're going to have wings. We're going to have Papa Murphy's pizza. And then at the half of Oregon and BYU, we're going to pull the winner. We're going to announce the name. And maybe it's you going to that trip to see BYU and Notre Dame in Las Vegas. But the only way to win it is go to Barbecue Pit Stop in Lehigh, Layton, Logan, St. George, and Murray. Without further ado, Jake, let's talk about this BYU situation. Right, yeah. I think this is one of the more difficult conversations we have had this year on this show. We spent a lot of time over the over the weekend talking to different people, 
trying to understand really how people feel about what's going on at BYU and what happened with this situation with this Duke volleyball player. Now, if you don't know the story, it's a pretty ugly situation. Duke volleyball was in town to open the volleyball season. They had uh, two matches on Friday, another on Saturday. And Friday night, unfortunately, a fan in the student section started using racial slurs and threatening language uh, and attacking a freshman Duke volleyball player who happens to be the only black player starting on the Duke volleyball team. It went on the entire match. Allegedly, according to the Duke volleyball player, the team and the Duke volleyball player's parents, um, this fan used the N-bomb repeatedly. This fan warned this Duke volleyball player to watch her back when she was on her way to the team bus after the match. Police had to guard the Duke bench like this was ugly. And Jake, I don't know how you recover from this if you're BYU because this is no longer perception versus reality. This is a fan in the student section attacking a young black woman. Yeah, and I and I think a lot of people are wondering, hey, how did someone get into the student section that wasn't a student at, at BYU? That was the other piece that I think was kind of remarkable in this situation. And so I think for BYU, this is, you know, there are obviously are multiple issues here. You know, the 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 language used towards the player, that's just the surface level, in my opinion. But when you go a bit deeper, you start to understand, okay, number one, where was the security at this event? How did someone get that close and get that kind of access who was not a student at BYU? That's number one. Number two, how is someone, student or otherwise, able to say these things repeatedly throughout the entirety of a, a sporting event at BYU uh, and allowed to just sit there and stay there? It's almost as if it was like, well, we don't care what that person's saying. We're just going to, you know, put, you know, police on the Duke bench and we're going to basically take preventative or precautionary measures, but we're not going to remove this, this person from the actual event when that first end bomb was dropped, which is, in my opinion, what the response should have been. And I think, you know, the problem really is now in these type of situations, and we've seen this before throughout the sporting landscape, and BYU is not immune to this, there is no easy fix to this. There is no putting a Band-Aid on this. This is a, you know, everyone wants to say, oh, well, it's perception versus reality, and you have this perception issue at BYU. It, whether that's true or not doesn't really matter. I think the perception, just frankly, is the reality. People think that BYU has a problem with race now. People think that, hey, you know, BYU is not really doing much about this. That is your problem right now. And I don't know, and this is kind of the conversation in my opinion, what can BYU do to fix this? Because I don't think statements and and Tom Homo speaking at an event and you know just these sort of surface level steps are nearly enough to fix the problem. Well, and I think your your point there about why didn't anybody do anything? That's the biggest question that I have. I I I mean, we know hundreds of people at BYU. We know hundreds of people that went to BYU. Yeah. I don't believe that BYU is a racist institution. I just don't. I think that um, history and you know the founding fathers of our state, okay, cool, we can have that conversation. 2022, BYU, I do not believe is a racist institution. I just don't. I have too many people that I know there. I interact with too many people there. 
And I don't believe that this, you know, situation, this event, I don't believe that this describes the ide ideology of the people that run BYU. Um, I want to play this sound from Tom Homel because I think it is incredibly important. Um, I want to play it in two different bites because I think both of these are equally important. And when you listen to these words, listen specifically. Take this 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 time. Listen specifically to the way that Tom Homo phrases things uh, when he talked to the, the crowd at BYU on Saturday night. I'm the athletic director, and I'm accountable for what happens in all our athletic events. And with that in mind, the process to get better and to heal has already begun, as you can see, and you'll see a little bit more often. I want you to know that this morning I visited with the young athlete on Duke's team and her coach. If you would have met her, you would have loved her. But you don't know her, and so you don't feel that way. As children of God, we are responsible. It's our mission to love one another and treat everybody with respect. Man. I think when you hear Tom Homo say, I'm the athletic director and I am responsible for what happens at BYU athletic events, he talked about knowing her, meeting with her, saying you would have loved her. But this next bite from Tom Homo, I think, is really at the heart of BYU. And this is where BYU being a religious institution, and again, I don't care what your religious background is. I think you have to understand what BYU is as a school. It is a Christian university. And one of the things I think that you have to, to ask yourself is, how did BYU's reputation as a, a God-fearing institution, how does that play against the events that we now know happen Friday night at this volleyball match? Well, here's what Tom Homo has to say about that. I ask that everyone at all of our games that represent BYU, that you will have the courage to take a stand and be able to take care of each other, and more importantly, the guests, our guests who we invite to come and play here so that we can be disciples of Christ and show it in every way. I love how Cougar Nation, how The Rock and all our fans are incredibly in support of our teams. Cheer them on as loud as you can, but do not cross the line where you would hurt or harm anyone in any way. Love you, Cougs. Thanks. Man, so good. Tom Homo, the athletic director at BYU. And I, I guess this is where I ask again, how is it acceptable if you are a BYU student and you're sitting in the student section? And you allowed this to go on the entire match. That's the thing that I don't understand because you and I both know that BYU as a Christian university, as a, a university that is is not, it, it's not a philosophy to be, you know, a God-fearing person at BYU. It's a way of life Fast. at BYU. So when we talk about does this square up with what BYU is as an institution, is BYU racist? I don't believe it is. But one of the things I know is if you want to sit here and talk about being a God-fearing, Christ-based institution, 
you, you, you let that fly out the window on Friday night in Provo when you did nothing to defend this woman, when you allowed a black woman to be racially abused at a volleyball match. It says that that's okay and that's the way we do business here because nobody did anything. And we now know based on what was said after the fact by the principals involved that the coaching staffs were both aware this was going on and nothing was done. And this idea that the excuse is, well, nobody pointed out the the person in the student section who was doing this. It wasn't the person. It was multiple people doing this to this young black woman. So it wasn't just one person. One person was banned because that's who Duke pointed out after the game. And that's who they were able to identify. This was not just one person. This is not okay. And I think that's the part that I really struggle with, Jake, is if you want to sit here and tell us you're not a racial, you know, or don't have a race problem or you're not a racist institution, I don't see how all of these people let this happen. Yeah, and I think that the statement from Tom Homo, while it was good and it was clean and it was polished, I think lacked one crucial word, which is racism. You didn't utter the word, hey, you know, racism occurred in our, in our facility, you know, Friday night. Like, I think it's really important when things like this happen to be very blunt and be very honest and say, hey, this happened, right? Like, we had someone using this type of language towards one of our players and then go into the, hey, we're children of God and, you know, everything else he said. And I don't have a problem with that. But I think that you, you because you are a religious institution, because, you know, that is what you're known as and, and what you stand for, I just think it's really important in moments like this to say, you know, hey, yeah, someone was using racial, you know, uh, language like that. That It's unacceptable at BYU. How does this happen? And I think that I, I, I wonder what's going to be done as we move forward. That's immediately where my mind went, because the fact is the reality of our world is there's nothing that can be done to fix what happened. You're not fixing this, right? Like you're not, you can't go back in time and prevent dude from showing up in the, in the student section. That can't, that can't happen. You don't have that option as an institution. So to me, my question just simply is moving forward. A, how is this prevented? B, what are you going to do to make sure that, that people understand that BYU's culture isn't one that, that is route with racism. And to be clear, I don't think that BYU is a racist institution. No. In fact, I, I, I think BYU is a great institution. Um, I think that in these situations, in whether this is at BYU or in life, I think it's one person who is who is racist that ends up showing up at a sporting event, and then all of a sudden the public wants to paint BYU as a racist institution. That's just what happens in our world. But I also don't think it matters if that person was a student or not. I, I, You were in the rock, you were in the student section, like it doesn't matter if they attend BYU or not. I mean, BYU, what this says is BYU students allowed this to happen. Yeah. And I don't think it's courageous. I don't think you're brave to stand up and say, hey, this is not okay. I think you are doing what is the bare minimum at that point. When you say, hey, this is the guy. These are the people that are that are you know creating this chaos. Because yeah. if you read if you read the statement that BYU released, they talked about a small group of people. Um, you know that that may, a small. I think it was a small number of fans. Right. 
So, it, it, I mean, and pretty much everybody has acknowledged it was not just one guy. Right. And the struggle is now perception becomes reality because if you look at the way this conversation has morphed, yeah. we've gone from Donovan Mitchell not able to talk about critical race theory in schools to BYU to this is so damaging to our state. And I just... I understand that our state has a long way to go when it comes to racial equality. I think we have significant issues with equality, with freedom, with the ability to be who you are, where you are. I think we have real issues with those things in our community, whether that's, you know, the the LGBTQ community, whether that is, you know, people of color, people of different ethnicities. Right. Because this isn't just an issue with the black community. We need to be really honest about that. If you are of brown skin in this in this community, I think you you have a hill to climb. And I think that we all, you know, we all love Donovan Mitchell when he's dunking a basketball, and we all love Kalani Satake when he is coaching a football team. But what if you don't know who those people are and you run into them on the street? How are you going to treat them? If you see other people treating them poorly, are you going to do anything about that? That's the question that you have to answer. Because until we do that routinely, until we say, hey, this is not who we are, it's who we are. Mm -hmm. Because what happened at Provo is who we are. I am not Mormon. I did not go to BYU. I live in Utah. I'm a Utah. And this is who we are. I can tell you that now because that's the perception. Mm -hmm. And any time that, that perception and reality fight, perception always wins. And Utah is perceived as a racist state. BYU is now perceived as a racist institution. The ridiculousness of, of this argument on Twitter yesterday where I have a guy saying, well, Brigham Young was a racist. It's like, dude, do you understand that he died in 1877? Do you understand that hundreds of years ago we're talking about? Yeah. You believe that because a, a gentleman that this school is named after, when a, and I agree, Brigham Young, one of the most important you know figures in the state of Utah, the history of Utah, I totally understand that. But do you really believe that what Brigham Young believed, practiced, espoused to was impacting the person that was the foremost you know, abuser in this situation, this small group of people in the rock on Friday night. Do you think they were thinking about Brigham Young? Do you think they were like, well, Brigham Young, you know, was X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to, I'm going to abuse this girl. Do you think they were telling her to watch her back going to the team bus because Brigham Young told them to? Are you, are you kidding me? Are, are you really, do you really believe that if your great grandfather or your grandfather or his mother or whoever in your family tree is a convicted felon? It, do you really believe that if everybody who owns slaves back in, in the times of slavery in this country, that all of their relatives going forward are responsible for their decisions? Because that's what you're saying here, that because people in your past, relatives of yours going back, you know, they were criminals or they were slave owners or, you know, one of the other things that was so quickly brought up was, you know, that, oh, Brigham Young had 56 wives. What has that got to do with the price of, of, of you know, racism that this girl paid at BYU Volleyball on, on Friday night? It has absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. Brigham Young having 56 wives reportedly had nothing to do with what happened Friday night. 
Brigham Young being a, a, a racist had nothing to do with what happened Friday night. Tom Homo's views on race and racism have nothing to do with what Brigham Young thought 200 years ago. Why? I don't understand why we can't have open, honest discussions and take personal accountability for the actions of people on the ground Friday night. You want to get into some, you know, existential conversation about, you know, life in Provo? I'm all here for that. I am all here for that. But let's not blame the actions of a few people on Brigham Young's actions hundreds of years ago. Let's please not do that because I think it's an absolutely ridiculous argument to make. Yeah, and I think we do that all the time. I, I think that that's what that's like a convenient conversation to have. But I, but I think the fact of the matter is is that a few people at a a a BYU women's volleyball game said some things they shouldn't be saying uh, that are you know obviously outrageous, and now. It, it morphs into this like greater conversation. And in my opinion is, yeah, I think BY or uh, the state of Utah has a perception issue that we're a, 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 a ultra conservative, you know, mostly white and partially racist state. I think Utah deals with that with that the state of Utah deals with that perception issue on a daily basis. And I think that um, you know, if I'm being honest, I think it's a little bit exacerbated down in Provo. How many for how many years have we been hearing that, you know, uh, you know, black football players are uncomfortable going to BYU because they're one of the only colored individuals uh on campus? I mean, we've been hearing that narrative for how long? And the problem is is that there are a lot of great people at BYU. The culture at BYU is really good. And then everyone's gonna go to, oh, the honor code, the honor code. Okay, cool. The honor code has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I don't well, want to really hear about And I that. also think to your point about, you know, people of color or, you know, brown skin people specifically because yeah. I think that's really what this conversation's about. I mean, if if you are if you are black or latino, I, I just think that that your perception of the state of Utah is not good. And it's incidents specifically like what happened in Provo on Friday night that perpetuate that. Mm -hmm. And I also think when when I go back to you know, when I go back to my childhood as a Catholic, you know, as somebody that was Catholic, I I absolutely think that there are issues centered around the Catholic Church. I think there are issues centered around the Muslim faith. I think there are issues centered around the Mormon faith. I think it's just simply a matter of holding people accountable for their individual actions. There's nothing Christ-like about, you know, the Catholics abusing children. There's nothing Christ-like about... Uh, Brigham Young, you know, being a racist. There's nothing Christ-like about any of the things that we are talking about. And there certainly is nothing Christ-like about abusing a Duke volleyball player and telling her that she needs to watch her back so that your school, your school can win a volleyball match. Mm -hmm. That's the issue here. This isn't a, this isn't where, where you paint with a broad brush. You need to understand that individual accountability is what is lacking here. It is not institutionalized racism in Provo because I just don't believe that's the case. I would say that that I have covered Tom Homo long enough to know. I have covered Kalani Satake long enough to know. I have covered Kyle Whittingham long enough to know that just because you're Mormon doesn't mean you espouse the same teachings and activities that Brigham Young did. That Joseph Smith did. Right. That they they the founding fathers of of any state did. 
Because are, are you telling me that anybody that, that lives in Mississippi believes what the founding fathers of Mississippi believed? Come on now. Like, I, I, that's the thing I struggle with. I am almost hesitant to get into the comments, and I have purposely not read the comments this morning because I, I, I am almost certain that the ridiculousness of these conversations always comes out. Mm-hmm. Always comes out. Yeah, somehow these conversations are a breeding ground for the, the ridiculous take, and I think that it's just not... It, it is... Disappointing is probably strong, but I just hope that someday we can have this conversation and get comments about like, yeah, what is like actual productive comments? Like, okay, what is, so this happened on Friday. Obviously this is a huge issue, like, like, you know, institution defining issue. What is BYU going to do about it moving forward? That's a conversation we can have. Hey, why why is it that that this person was allowed to stay the entire game? Why didn't BYU do anything about that? That's a conversation we can have. Well, I also you know? think that I also think the question has to be asked of everybody that was there. Yes. Not just the student section. Why did you put cops on the end of the bench but take no action to to discern why you were putting cops on the end of the bench? Yes. And With, if you because knew, this, this girl was being abused. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why did you, you knew, not stop the match? Yeah, if you knew that she was being abused, you knew who was you clearly knew who was saying it, and you could have done something well, about it. And I, I don't know that I agree they clearly knew who was saying it. They knew there was an issue of racial abuse and and bigotry and and violent threats against this girl coming from the BYU student section. You needed to stop the match and you needed to weed out the people who were doing that. This brings me back to Coach K where Coach K got on a public microphone at Cameron and said, this is not who we are, right? That's what BYU needed to do. And again, I think with all due respect to Tom Homo, and that was in a, a, a really impassioned speech that he gave on Saturday, Duke didn't want to play there on Saturday and wound up changing venues. That It's great in, 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 as a beginning step that Tom Homo came out on Saturday and said, hey, this is not who we are. This is not good enough. Okay, I'm totally down with that. But the fact of the matter is there's a systemic problem and that problem is not racism. That problem is your action when racism is brought to you. Yes. That's yes. the systemic problem. Yes. Are you willing to stop a volleyball match and say, hey, we're not going to have another point played until the people that were in the student section racially abusing this girl are weeded out and removed? And furthermore, are we going to at some point make this criminal behavior? Because I think that's the logical next conversation. Mm -hmm. In a good part of the world, if you were to have done what these people did to this girl on Friday at BYU, you're going to jail. Yeah. Those, are, those are criminal actions that, that you are perpetrating on this woman. Here, it's just, well, you can't come back to BYU Volleyball. That's not good enough. And somehow that that does feel, and this is kind of what we were talking about over the weekend when we were getting ready to talk about this. The the whole concept of, hey, we banned, you know, one person from from all BYU athletic events or whatever. While that used to be cool, that used to be good enough like a decade ago, that's not good enough anymore. Like that like it 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 just doesn't have much of an impact. You know, so you combine 
the banning thing with not really doing anything about it in game to to the the Duke volleyball player coming out and saying, yeah, it absolutely affected me, but I was on a mission to to not uh, allow them to feel a win, like not allow them to feel like, oh yeah, we got to her, she's out of the game, but like think, she's not playing anymore. But Jake, also think about what what was the cop sitting on the end of the bench thinking? And that's and that's why this is why I have trouble with this, and and I'm not trying to pick a fight with this, but I really have trouble with the idea that they didn't at least know like the section of the within the student section where this was coming from. I really you struggle can't with tell that. me if the cops or security or administration hadn't gone over there and said, okay, I need point these people out. I yeah. have to believe that in mass people would have pointed the people out. Yeah. And, and so that's I, why I have to think so. And yeah. my point about the cops here is this also plays on the stereotypes that the cops co-sign on racist behavior. Yeah. That that it plays into the 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 absolute horror show that we have seen in this country over the last three to five, you know, ten years with the the advent of cameras and social media. Yes. Where we've seen, you know, back to the Rodney King beating and like it plays into that stereotype. It plays into that 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 social issue that we have, that stigma that cops hate black people, that cops hate brown skinned people, that people of color need to be fearful of the cops. Because here you have a black woman playing volleyball in Provo on Friday night, and I don't care if it was at an apartment complex in a sand pit or on the court in Provo at BYU. She was racially abused, and the cops did nothing about it. Yep, that's disappointing to me. It's it's, and this isn't any longer like, hey, these are high school kids. Where are the adults? We're human beings. Where are the other human beings standing up for this girl? Yeah, I I don't know. And, and frankly, you know, I look at Duke a little bit as well. Why did Duke continue to play this match? Why did you Why did you continue to participate in this match? without demanding that those people be removed from the student section. Yeah. I don't understand that. We have to we have to get to a point I'm so tired of the inequality in this country. I'm tired of it. I'm frustrated by it. And I do get fired up over this because I don't care if you're black or latino or asian or danish. I don't care. Like this is what I say about like why do you care? If, if somebody is gay, why do you care if somebody is trans? Why do you care if two gay people want to get married? Why does it bother you so much that two gay people hold hands in public? Yeah. Why do you care what women do with their bodies? It's not your body. It's not your wife. It's not your child. Why, why is it okay in our community and in our society that this goes on day after day? Why do we have to have a Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter conversation. And why on this show did we have to spend an entire episode several years ago fighting for the right to say that Black Lives Matter? Yeah. Why do you care what, what I just... Yeah, I think it's... Don't I, get dude, it. I, I think that, I, I think that the, the conversation around, you know, why was this allowed to go on and, and, and from both sides and really every... Because really... You know, when we get down to it, when we're talking, when we're having this conversation from a humanity point of view, not from like, you know, BYU or Duke or the cops, like just humanity, every person in that building that night is responsible on some level. I mean, if you're like, if you're sitting next to someone who's saying that type of thing, 
you know, I, I don't know that it, it's correct to say, hey, it's your personal responsibility to stop them. But what I do think it is correct is it's your responsibility to get security or to get police or to get like a, an enforcement body at the event to come and remove that person. I, I do think that is a responsibility we have to each other. Like, I, I think this conversation comes down to being a good human. That's what I think this comes down to. It's not, well, whether you believe in God or whether you're gay or straight or whether you're white, Polynesian or black. Like, it doesn't, none of, none of that stuff matters. What it is about is, is she got racially abused and nobody did anything about it for the millionth time in this country, going back hundreds of years. I mean, when, when do we get to a point where black athletes or really any athlete that's not a white male has to worry about things being said to them. Because I got news for you. White females, this happens to them too all the time. All the time. And that's why I say like at some point it comes down to humanity and being better as people and doing something about these issues, which brings me back to my original point. What is BYU going to do about this moving forward? What's the initiative going to be? What is the proactive step that's going to be taken? And furthermore, I'd ask that question of Duke as well. You know, obviously Duke was on the road here, but I think your point of why did Duke continue to play this game is well taken. I think that's a fair question to ask. Jake, it is a match. It is not a game. Well, whatever, man. I'm not a volleyball expert, but I'm an expert in 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 you know knowing that something has to be done about this man and and i'm tired of having these having to have these conversations it, and it, you know it's just tough and the first the first tweet i get on this yeah is from beards and beers mm -hmm. the statement i read the individual wasn't a student at, at uh the y so where's the tie-in what do you mean so the fact that this person wasn't a student but was in the student section that's a problem B, the tie-in is he was in the student section, the one person that was banned, and nobody around him did anything about it. In fact, there was a group of people in the student section that was partaking in the racial abuse of this girl from Duke. That's your tie-in. He also says, uh, how would a single student be allowed to make anyone think to generalize the entire university as racist? Because nobody did anything to stop it. Nobody did anything to stop it. And when you see these, these generational beliefs that people bring up, it's an easy tie-in when nobody did anything to stop it. Yeah. Nobody. And when you have so many people coming to the defense of the, the person that was banned, it, 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 yeah, I think it kind of ties in and plays into it. Um, he also says, sounds like an ignorant generalization. Is the U of U racist because of Morgan Scally? No. Okay, well, if I have to explain but this. But this is I, what I, we do. But this is, but hold on. This is what we do in our culture. Yes, it is. You don't want to talk about what happened at BYU. You want to go and use some example about what happened at the U with Morgan Scally. I got news for you. That doesn't matter in this conversation. Let that be its own thing. We're talking about Duke versus BYU and multiple N-bombs were thrown at a black Duke female volleyball player. And Why can't she, you her, just have that and conversation? And then her life was threatened like, to the point where they had to put uh, law enforcement on the Duke volleyball bench. It's a volleyball match. And we're threatening this young woman's life because of the color of her skin. Like you think like there are people, think about this, just, just get this through through your head. 
There are people in our state, and obviously worldwide, obviously this doesn't just apply to Utah, but this is a this is an issue in Provo, Utah right now. This is the conversation where we're having it, right? You have someone who lives in the state of Utah somewhere who went to this game, BYU student or otherwise. Obviously, the person that got banned wasn't a student, yep. right? You have someone that is willing mentally to show up to a sporting event, a public venue, and start lobbying racial slurs, like like yelling racial slurs. At a teenage girl. Like, just if you just stop the conversation there, I would ask you, based on your comment, is that an issue to you? I, I would ask that question of you. Yeah. I think it's a relevant question to ask when we get responses like that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Tanner Plummer says, Mount, with all due respect. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. Uh, you don't understand the impact Joseph Smith and Brigham Young still have on the uh, a huge impact on the BYU community. BYU and the church basically worship them. What I'm what I'm telling you is, is that your actions define you. So if you truly believe that Brigham Young, who vacillated back and forth, frankly on slavery and owning slaves and if you truly believe that that Brigham Young owning slaves and being a racist is why this gentleman who was banned and the group he was with felt it was okay to yell racist slurs at a teenage volleyball player from Duke and then threaten her life while she you know telling her to watch her back as she went back to the team bus if you truly believe that Brigham Young and Joseph Smith would be doing that same thing and would be okay with it, I I, I think that you're crazy. I I just don't believe that would be. I the just case. don't think I, we we don't need to overcomplicate this, <laughs> right? Like we don't need to have some have some long winded conversation about the history of of BYU. Do do those figures have an impact in some ways in today's culture? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are some ways where there's connections and yeah, sure, BYU, you know, if you want to say worships those people, I think that's a little bit strong, right? Cuz the inference you're making is, well, they worship Brigham Young who was a racist, you know, figure in 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 his lifetime. Back Brigham in the Young 1800s. had Brigham Young had between 30 and 56 wives, depending on how you interpret history. Why then does not every man in the in the Mormon church have 30 to 56 wives? Well, because polygamy is, is we, we now understand, and the LDS community understands that polygamy is not the, the way to go about living your life. Are there polygamists still around? Yeah, sure. But is your garden variety LDS man married to multiple women? He is not. He is not. People evolve. Beliefs evolve, right? Like the 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 I I, I agree with you. Do we, we're we're really going back two hundred years? You, but do you see what do you see to what find I mean? the reason this is happening? Th- this is what happens. So 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 this is what happens. We get comments about you know, and again, with all due respect to Tanner, you've been listening. You're you're one of our best listeners. I love you, bro. I'm not trying to go in on you, but this is this is more of a passionate conversation. You need to understand that and not take it personally, right? This whole concept of, hey, we need to talk about Morgan Scally at the U. We need to talk about about this dude in the 1800s. We need to talk about all this other stuff. Let's just stay right here, right here. 
on the issue that happened. Someone showed up to a BYU volleyball game and dropped multiple N-bombs and racial slurs to a female athlete. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I'm tired of hearing about, oh, well, you know, BYU is has a a, a, a a pure white history and all their figures were racist and had multiple wives. I don't care about that right now. Yeah. That might be true, right? But that doesn't matter right now. What matters is, hey, what are you going to do to solve this issue? Because I got news for you. Tom Homo doesn't have 56 wives. Your average, as you just said, your average LDS person doesn't have 56 wives. That's not the culture anymore. And I'm telling you, the culture of BYU is not racist. The problem is this happened at BYU, and it's happened several times over the last decade. And seemingly there is, there has not been a real strong, tried and true answer to these issues. And that needs to change. Jeremy Severy says, love the discussion, but I am an individual. I can change what happened, but I... I can mentally prepare and prepare for what I would do if I was in that situation to help others stand up, be better, and change. That's my point. You have to be committed. Yeah. The BYU community, and the hope now is, and my belief now is, is that things have changed at BYU. This incident hopefully will cause change and growth. And these type of things will no longer be acceptable in BYU athletics. And my hope is that you are going to see an effort to make sure that this is rooted out. Because again, BYU is not the only one dealing with this. Russell Westbrook is a perfect example of this. And we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook coming up in a a bit. But what Russell Westbrook's another great example of this. Like this is racial abuse of professional and college athletes is not new here. Mm-hmm. And we've got to do something to to take a stand on that. We have to, without without a doubt. I just think it is, it's just so important. Like, there's too much comfort, I feel like. And, and, and again, this is just my opinion, you know, um, tried and true. Like, I... I I think there's too much comfort at sporting events for people on some level. Like, like I feel like a lot of times when people go to sporting events, they think that because you can say whatever you want and you can heckle athletes, which is absolutely part of going to a sporting event, yes. that somehow racial slurs are are somehow acceptable in that in, in that like venue or space. That that that's not how it works. You can't. I got news for you. In this world, you can't just do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. You can't just go out and drop a bunch of N-bombs. You can't just go out and punch someone in the face and think that that's going to be okay. That's not how our world works. And and I just get it. There is a lot of burnout factor in, in, in constantly having to have conversations like this. It does seem like... You know, we've lived here, like, again, for those of you who don't know, we lived here before for, like, five years, and I remember having conversations about this. We moved back, what, two years ago now, and we're having a conversation about this again. Like, at some point, something has to change. Like, there has to be, like, the next time this happens, because I'm confident this will happen at a sporting event again in the state of Utah, no doubt about it. The next time something like this happens at a sporting event, BYU or otherwise, whether it's a jazz game, the Utes, what will be done? Will that person be immediately removed? I don't that's know. That's a huge question. But that's what I think has to happen yeah. now. All right, let's get some of your comments in here. Uh, James Knight, good morning to you. He says, the topic doesn't deserve oxygen. It should be a given that people behave respectfully to each other. I wish it was a given. 
I really wish it was. Well, a and given. who is who's saying that? It's funny you say that, James, because where's James live? James lives in Australia. Totally different culture. Totally yeah. different culture, and you see the kind of stance he has on it. And I think that that's you talked earlier a couple minutes ago about how globally, you know, using racial language and racial slurs is a crime. Well, that needs to change. I, I agree with that. I think that we need to make that change soon, for sure. Yeah, I, I just, I think it's really difficult to continue to use stereotypes to make this, to make your argument on this. Like, it, it's just so frustrating that, that this happened. Like, it is, I have dreaded this conversation since I heard about this on Saturday morning. Yeah. Like, I have dreaded. Because it's all like if you read the the tweets and and the conversation that was had on Twitter, it, it's all stereotypes. It's all about you know things that happened hundreds of years ago, and you know like the, having lived in the state for over a decade, I can tell you I I see some of these things. It's not pervasive in my opinion. It tr it truly is not. But do we have things we have to grow and and learn from and evolve from and leave behind we do yes but i hate that this is so prevalent in sports i i just i hate it yeah it happens multiple times a year across the globe well and it's at a point now where you where you have you know it, it used to just be that lebron was the one that would speak out on this stuff and he spoke on this but but now i feel like you have uh a bunch of Black athletes, prominent black athletes that talk about, hey, like this is a nightly thing. Like NBA players, it is not hard to find multiple NBA players talking about that on a nightly basis they get this kind of language. Not, and this isn't obviously just pertaining to the state of Utah. I, but I just think culturally speaking, I think people are too comfortable when they go to NBA games or when they go to really sporting events in general. Like it's amazing to me that you think you can just start dropping end bombs on athletes because you're Amazing. at a sporting event. Like, Amazing. Like, like, how is that even, how does that even go through your mind? And that's what I hope people understand um, about this, this conversation that understand what it takes to do this. Understand that this person is, is, I mean, again, I'm just guessing, but I'm I, like, you must not be right in the head on some level to say this type of stuff. You're either not right in the head or you are just truly through and through a racist individual. And either way, we've got a problem. And BYU, and I would hope institutions in the big picture just get way more aggressive about handling this when it happens because there's no, there is no preventing it. We need to understand it. There's no preventing someone showing up and saying this stuff. But there is aggressively reacting to it. And that's what I think needs to change immediately. Yep, let's see. Uh, PLL Superfan Forever says, are you saying every time someone says something racist at a, at a sporting event, that the sporting event should be stopped. It will. It never will be after each time it happens within and at even teams should stop. Well, what I would say is that in a in a college environment, especially with an event, the the scope of a volleyball tournament, it's much smaller than an NBA game. You should stop that game. If when you have young people that are being racially abused. You should stop that game and root those fans out right yeah. now. Yeah. Right now. You should absolutely do that. At NBA arenas, you should, you should, and at just about every arena has a text line where you can text in your seat and your, your, your section in your seat and identify people who are behaving badly. Yeah. 
And you should absolutely do that. I don't think it's realistic to stop an NFL game. I don't think it's realistic to stop a soccer match or a baseball game. It's realistic to to turn those people in that are yelling that stuff mm-hmm. because it just it it cannot be it cannot be allowed. Tom Basilius says the out of state from these two today is showing. Okay, that's cool. Michael Sutton says the person's actions had nothing to do with the LDS Church. People are their own agents and make their own decisions. That's what I'm Agreed. saying. I I agree with that a hundred percent. And this idea that we bring up Brigham Young and Joseph Smith and polygamy and 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 you know what I I don't want to skip over that comment from from Tom. The out of state is showing. I think that the 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 fact that we're from out of state actually gives us more clarity on this issue because I don't give a damn what the LDS Church teaches. I don't care. What I care about is someone showing up to a sporting event. In saying this stuff, it's inexcusable whether you believe that the sky is yellow or you believe in 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 the Latter Day Saints faith. It doesn't matter. You showed up and you said this stuff. Yeah. So I don't want to hear about well, you know, they're from out of state, so they don't get it. The fact is, is what you don't get is there's no excuse for dropping n bombs on athletes. That like that's what I mean. We can't get distracted with well, you're out of state or or Joseph Smith or or Brigham Young from 200 years ago. Let's not get distracted. Let's stay on point with this. Yeah, I agree. Tanner says, "What? No Brigham Young did not flip on racism topic." Okay. I, I, all I can say is I spent hours last night researching his ideology. He absolutely flip-flop back and forth. Go re- it's not hard. It's I was reading on an LDS org site last night about it it's not it's not hard it's in from the new york times to lds teachings to like go read the history of brigham young he absolutely went back and forth on owning slaves like and i don't think that has anything never mind why am i arguing about what this? does that have to do with how byu handled this issue yeah i don't know and morris says there has to be video of this has to be. Has to be. Has to be. Uh, Larry Pigram says, I was 15 and played basketball for the ward. Because I wasn't a member, I was kicked off the team. Let's exclude teenagers from playing sports on our properties. They are not great community helpers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the, see, point, the point being what? Yeah. The church is such a controversial topic in, in, in this world. Like, I mean, and this is not a Utah thing. This is the entire world. Yeah. Faith, churches, religious institutions. This is why I don't believe in organized religion. I just don't. I believe in spirituality. I believe in believing what you believe. But I just think when you have, when you have religions as large as the Catholic church, I just, as large as the LDS church, as large as all these institutions are, it's very difficult it's a very difficult existence and the controversies are many. The controversies are many, you know, like I just, I go back to the guy who said, I I love the conversation, but I'm an individual and I can govern myself. I think that's, that's exactly right. We should be individually accountable. And I talk about this all the time, whether you are trying to open a business, you're trying to develop a skill, you're trying to lose weight. You have to be individually accountable. Yeah. And if you're somebody that's trying to root out racism, you have to be individually accountable. No doubt. Kurt Myers, good morning to you, friend. He says, no matter where this happened in America, it's not right. It's an assault and should have uh, arrested and charged all involved. 
I really wish that's where we were in this society. Yeah, I do. In our country, we are not there. We are not there. Um, Dax Johnson. Good morning, Dax. He says, it's on the guy that yelled those slurs and the people around him you heard who did nothing. It's embarrassing that no one stood up and stopped it. Amen. Agreed. Absolutely right, 100%. Absolutely right. No doubt about it. Um, Let's see. There's a big conversation going on. Tom Basilius says, polygamy changed so racism can too. Hey, polygamy is alive and well and the FLDS exists. My point is, racism is very interesting compared to polygamy in that, yes, is there, a, is there a certain number of or a certain populace of polygamists in Utah? Yes, there is. When we lived in Sandy, they were down the street from our house. There was a, there was a polygamist compound down the street from our house. Absolutely, that's in the community. Is there racism? Is there racists that live in the community? Absolutely. I don't know them. They don't put flags out in front of their house. Most do not. <laughs> put flags out in front of their house saying, hey, I, I hate black people. I hate Muslims. Hey, I hate Mexicans. I hate... <clears throat> like that. That's not how racism works in this country, unfortunately. Right? Because that would be so much easier on everybody. But is there a small sect of our, of our community that is racist? Yes. Is it pervasive and is it most people? No, it's not. Is there a small sect in, in, in our community that practice polygamy? Yes, there are. Thank you. I watch reality TV. I know how that works, right? Like there is a small group in our community that live by those values. Is it pervasive? Is it most people? It certainly is not. I do not believe that most people on campus or in this state are racist. Yeah. Do we have a problem with race on campus? Clearly. Do we have a problem with race in this state? Absolutely. I don't think anybody would argue that. Yeah. Is it pervasive and does it dominate most people in most cultures and most neighborhoods? It does not. It does not. And I think that we are no different when it comes to racism in Utah than, we, than, than there are across most states. Then most states are battling the same way we are, right? We have the same issues politically. We have the same societal issues. Utah's not unique in those ways. Yeah. It's not. Unfortunately, it's not. Uh, Josh Levern says, wasn't Don getting treated poorly with his involvement in the community with public school education? He was. Yes. He was. Yes, he was. Uh, Tom Basile says, it's a kind part of stripe of LDS to be a bit racist. Yeah. Caleb says, that person was raised wrong. Hopefully their children break the racist cycle in their family. That doesn't happen on its own by the way. Uh, Renee Roca says, such a silly comment. It should be a given. Yeah, unfortunately. And my jazz fan says, I go to Yankee, Met, Giant, Jets, Nets, Bills, Patriots, and Celtics games every year. I hear all the time that I should not hear, things I should not hear. It's an environmental problem and what is acceptable. And I also think, by the way, this is a sports problem. Yeah. This is a problem in sports culture. We're okay with this. We're okay with insulting the opponent, saying heinous things about their mom, saying heinous things about their family, their husbands, their wives, their daughters. They just think we can say whatever we want. And, like, we, and you can't. <laughs> it's incredible. And you can't. That's why I, I, I think you have to look at how are you not like, whoa, when somebody's like, hey, N-bomb, whoa. Whoa. Yeah, like how are we not like outraged by that? Yeah. That's the problem. It is obviously it's an issue that you're dropping n bombs on a on a Duke volleyball player. That's an issue. 
I think the bigger issue is nobody said anything yeah. and nobody pointed this person out. Because what would the conversation be? I think this is also a fascinating point. Yeah, me what too. What would the conversation be if if today we were talking about, hey, yeah, the N-bomb was uttered multiple times at a BYU volleyball event, but as soon as, as BYU was notified and the police were notified, they removed that person and any person involved with that person saying those things. What then would we be saying? Would we be getting comments about the 1850s and 56 wives? Would we be getting comments about, hey, BYU has a race problem? No. We'd be getting comments about, wow, this was impressive. This is what we need to be seeing. This person was removed as fast as could be removed once they knew about it. And that's what I think we have to get to. And and I think that, you know, as far as this Tom Homo statement a lot of people are upset that he didn't say the word racist or racism in that in that comment or in that you know speech. And I yes. think that it's. It, I'm just going to keep saying it. Like I, I don't have an issue with what Tom Homo said, generally speaking. But I think because he is the athletic director and 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 you know he is accountable, which is he did say that. I think you then have to take that final step and say yes, a racist event happened at our facility. And and we didn't react fast enough. I think that's what people wanted. And I hope that that's the lesson that BYU learns here. Because, again, I just want to keep saying, and I don't mean to be repetitive, they can't prevent someone going to an event and yelling the N-bomb. Nobody no. can prevent that. But what you can do is you can, you know, really control what happens after that. And that's what, again, that's what has to be worked on. So, again, I'm just going to keep saying, what is BYU going to do moving forward? Because that's where we are with BYU right now. Yeah, I want to play this the second half of this Tom Homo bite. Um, Tom spoke to the crowd Saturday morning um, about what had happened on Friday night. And I think this, this part, listen to what he says about accountability here. I ask that everyone at all of our games that represent BYU, that you will have the courage to take a stand and be able to take care of each other and more importantly, the guests, our guests who we invite to come and play here so that we can be disciples of Christ and show it in every way. I love how Cougar Nation, how The Rock and all our fans are incredibly in support of our teams. Cheer them on as loud as you can, but do not cross the line where you would hurt or harm anyone in any way. Love you, Cougs. Thanks. Tom Holmo, BYU Athletic Director right there as we talk about this situation with uh, Duke Volleyball. Don't forget, coming up in about 30 minutes, um, we are going to be joined by Guy Holiday, former wide receiver coach at BYU and Utah. He'll join the show. We'll ask him about his experience at BYU. I mean, obviously, as a, as a, a black man and a strong will strong personality, very proud black man. Guy Holiday had his experiences, and I'll, I'll be interested to see what Guy has to say about that. And, and you know, I, I think one of the things that's really important is, you know, I look at Guy and I, I've, you know, having talked to him during his time as a coach at BYU in Utah, you, you just learn the way that people operate and the way that people look at things. Guy Holiday operates on a different level. He is, I have a lot of respect for coach and, and I, he was the first person I reached out to about this because I think he is uniquely qualified 
to talk about what it is like to be a black man in Provo mm -hmm. and to be in a position of esteem and, and great responsibility as a, as a football coach at BYU. I wonder his experience with race. I wonder his experience with equality. I wonder how he felt about his family's experience um, with race and equality. You know, like those are things that I think that matters. We talk as, as you heard Tom Homo say right there, talking about, um, you know, Christian values and the, the, these actions don't represent Christian values. You know, like, you know, does the, does the preaching, does the Christian foundation at BYU, does that match up with life at BYU? Especially from the perspective of a black man who I think has a really enlightened view of things mm -hmm. based on his experience. Like, I mean, this is a guy that coached at Cornell at, at Utah, at UTEP. At, like, he's been around the block. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll... Great career. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to to Coach Holiday. I think he is somebody um, that really has a unique uh, perspective on it. Uh, Lord Raiden. Good morning, sir. Uh, even the Catholic Church got around to pardoning uh, Galileo. Yeah, our bad on that, 350 years later. Uh, Barfing Chicken says the comprehension skills of some people in this comment section are almost non-existent. They hear what you are saying, but aren't actually smart enough to understand it. Well, look, I think that I, I think that I'm not really interested in disrespecting people. You know, I, I understand where you're coming from. No, but these are important conversations, yeah, like, man. Like these are gravity, these are foundational, these are humanity. And yeah. I know we're a sports talk show and and listen, I understand that there's a lot of people who are like, you know, want to have the shut up and dribble and conversation. I totally get that. And I see those comments and I see that, you know, YouTube is holding people's comments. Like, I want you to know I'm all I'm here for all of this. I'm here for your perspective. I want your input on this. I think this is really important time, really important thoughts and conversations yeah. whether we agree with you or not is inconsequential i want you to feel free to to speak your mind but understand that hate speech doesn't have a place on this show yeah and understand that youtube has a very strong filter when we talk about this stuff like and thankfully we don't talk about this on a regular basis thankfully and, and it needs to be said too as far as the youtube stuff cuz we stopped saying this so much but i think in these kind of conversations you see a lot more filtered comments that's youtube doing that that's not us being like oh well you said this so we're going to block your comment that that's not how that works and it's important people know that uh tony altimore says the monty show 100% right this is a great discussion i hope that it helps some byu and all fans but byu especially have some serious thoughts that can lead to positive change and inclusion and and at the end of the day that's what this has to be about because yeah. i think when you listen to tom homo or you i'm sure you know kalani's going to talk about this at some point like inclusion has to be at the forefront of the way that byu operates because if if you are excluding people, if you are if you are using bias based on you know any of the protected classes, yes, to discriminate against people, to keep people away or push people away from BYU, that's a real problem. That is you you BYU BYU has an easy path to the Stone Age, like BYU has an easy path to real real badlands damaging the brand damaging humans BYU has a really difficult path to the promised land to treating all equal 
to treating all with respect, to treating all regardless of, you know, any of your, whether you are black, whether you are gay, whether you are trans, you know, whether you are disabled. Mm -hmm. BYU has a very difficult path to equality because you have to overcome this incredible mountain of bias and perception just based on issues with the church. There are people who will never say anything nice about anything that happens at BYU just because of three letters, LDNS. Yeah. That's the reality of it, right? Whether you are an atheist, whether you are a Mormon, it doesn't matter. You have a belief when you hear LDS church, Mormons, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young. I, I mean, you are not... Nah, indifferent. Well, and I think the comments reflect that. I mean, I yes. think that, and in, in again, nothing personal, Tanner, or Tricky T, but I think your comments, you know, are are the kind of comments I'm talking about, where it's like you're very passionate about what the history of of, of BYU and, and, frankly, the faith, um, you know, teach and, and what's happened. I, As and, you should be. I mean, yeah. You, yeah. If, and I don't think it's any secret. I think Tanner's talked about this on our show, but, like, Tanner's served a mission. Tanner. Yes. Yeah, like, I mean, he has a perspective. Yeah. I, and I, that's why I think your comments are so important. Whether I agree or not is inconsequential. It doesn't matter. That's right, T. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it just doesn't matter. Look at you, Mr. Soprano drop. Look at you. I appreciate that. James Knight says at professional sporting events in Australia, it is aggressively promoted on the scoreboards relating to any form of poor racial behavior or excuse me, poor social behavior being called out by texting seat descriptions. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how it should and be. And I think it's a brilliant system because what are you doing there? You're, you're keeping the, the, the person who, who is texting you safe and then you're able to address the issue as well. And that's why I think it's brilliant. Like I, I, I don't think we should overlook that, but I also think the brilliance of that is also why BYU is being criticized so heavily here, yeah. And why and why that that this is such an issue? Because again, I just have to believe, you know, if if this event had happened and BYU had removed this guy and his people as quickly as possible, and it was made very clear that BYU is aggressive with it, we'd be having a totally different conversation. Tom Homo's speech would have still existed, but would have looked completely different. So I wonder how people like Jaron Hall feel about this. I wonder how Kalani feels about this. I wonder what we will hear in the coming days from the prominent names in, in the football program. Because frankly, whether you like it or not, the football program is the cash cow of the university, which inherently brings responsibility to speak on these things. So I'll be curious to see what people have to say, because I, I th there's no way... That if you're Kalani, you're not speaking on this. Yeah, and I, I think when you look at the the events that happened this weekend, and you look at this situation in Bend, Oregon, with that shooting, the Washington mm. Commander running back that was shot, this brutal shooting in Phoenix, like mm -hmm. the lack of communication and understanding that went on at BYU and Bend, Oregon, and you know, like you look at the the reasons that we are we are segregated as a population. A lot of this runs true in this conversation. Like, I mean, it, it violence begets violence. When you are standing at a BYU volleyball match, screaming racist taunts and threatening the life of a, of a, a young black woman because she's a young black woman, it's not that far of a stretch that 
you know, to, to get to the violence and the anger and the, the everything I feel like that bubbles under the surface in our country. Yeah. And I think that's why to, to, I think a lot of people's point here, we have to be so steadfast against this kind of behavior. Yeah. We have to teach our kids to do better. We have to have, you know, like one of the things that really stands out to me is these are hard conversations at home. Yeah. They're hard conversations. When we have a, a 4th of July parade shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, you got to sit your kids down and watch TV with them. Well, think about the story you told, I mean, maybe it was a week or two ago, about, you know, when, when the kids were doing that, that, you know, doing what kids do in a back alley to your garage and you went and talked to the mom and the mom was just stressed out and, and losing her stuff and like was just was just done with life. I mean, that that the mom was at that point and that was like, hey, you threw some fruit against the garage door. Imagine what happens when you 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 go to someone's parents house and say, hey, your kid said X, Y, and Z and, and your was kid removed. is banned from athletics at BYU. I mean, do you, could you even like, I had, I struggle to comprehend what that would feel like. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but you know what? I, I just think you got to talk to your kids about this stuff. Yeah. When this happens in, in Charlottesville, Virginia or Provo, Utah, you know, when, when these big foundational issues happen, you know, like, uh, you know, family home evening in the LDS community, I, I would love it if these conversations happen. It's probably not going to, right? Mm -hmm. I think we all know it's not going to. But if we if we brought these these conversations up and had open, honest discussions about, hey son, hey daughter, you know, like, look, Kinsley, you 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 can't accept um, this. You know, like you can't accept this. You you cannot allow your you can't be friends with somebody, sweetheart, if they're yelling N bombs at other kids. Yeah. If they're racist, we, we, you can't be around them because that's not how we treat people. Yeah. That's the conversation that needs to happen in homes across this country when Charlottesville or BYU volleyball versus Duke happens. But unfortunately, there are too many households that don't want to have that conversation. Yeah. And I, I don't know how you change I, I agree that. with that. I, I think we're scared to talk to our kids about this stuff. And, and again, listen, I know these are big, heavy conversations. And again, thankfully, we don't. Thankfully, usually on most days we're talking Knicks and Jazz and, you know, we're talking about we're, we're getting ready for Utah and Florida and BYU and like we're getting ready for like real college football to kick off and real NFL football in two weeks. Like, yes, these are big foundational issues, right? This is fucking America. But these are the most important shows we're ever going to do. Yes. You know, we talk to we, we our show reaches over a million people a month. Like, there's a lot of responsibility that comes in that. And I see everybody saying, hey, let's talk sports. Hey, let's talk Jazz and Knicks. Hey, I totally understand that. And we're going to do that. We're going to do that at 830, I promise yes, you. Yes, we are. At 830, we are going to transition. We're going to talk Jazz. We're going to talk Knicks and Lakers and all of that. Because when do we pass a chance to tell you we told you so? But anyway, the point is, I think these are really important conversations in our homes tonight. These are really, if, if you listen to this show and you go home and you talk to your son or daughter about this, that's why we're doing this. Yeah. If you, if you don't have kids and you go home and you, 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 you talk with your wife tonight, instead of watching the bachelor or whatever shows on, if you go home and talk to your wife or your girlfriend or your mom or your sister or your brother, you know, or if you, if you're, you know, I know we have a lot of teenagers that listen to this show. Hey, if you go to school today 
and you talk to your classmates about this, that's great. That's what we need. Yeah. We need open, honest discussions about this. Yeah. You know, if and you, frankly, that kid going to class is the one that's going to change the culture in this country. Man, I mean, if we're being honest, so I mean, difficult. if we're being honest, like that's that's you know that's the truth. Uh, it, it it is all right. Uh, let's see. PLL super fan forever says I don't agree with polygamy or transgender, but you don't say rude things to people that close uh, to live that lifestyle that chose to live that lifestyle. I, and I think that's a really important statement right there. It is like. Just because somebody chooses to live a lifestyle that you don't agree with doesn't mean they're wrong. All due respect. Right? Like, it it doesn't mean that you're right and they're wrong. Yeah. They, and this is, hey, should we trade Donovan Mitchell? Is two draft picks enough? Just because you think it is and I think it's not doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong or vice versa. But we have to have an understanding. We have to be able to, to we, we talk so much about freedom in this country. But if we're really talking about freedom, does a a a a nineteen year old freshman at Duke playing volleyball in Provo have freedom? Mm. Apparently not. Mm. Apparently not. Right? Like, does do 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 Black Americans getting pulled over by police officers feel free? That's a really big question. I'm going to say the answer is no. <laughs> not all of not all yeah. Black Americans do. You know, Josh Lovren says similar things to what Jameis is saying happened in Australia. James is saying, I read that as Jameis. Talk about sports. Uh, similar things to what James is saying happened in Australia, happened in Seattle with reporting people for crossing the line. I've seen a few people removed from events I've been at. Yeah, I've seen that as well. And I, I hope it continues to happen. Uh, Cal says, of course, uh, BYU has a racism problem. Every place in the country has a racism problem. Unfortunately, I would agree with that. Yeah, and, and, and so I think that's fair. I, I just think it's, I don't know, man. I, I think that, you know, the more we have this conversation, the more we talk about it and think about it, I, I think that there needs to be another, like I think Tom Homo needs to do another speech uh, where he talks about the game plan for how they would handle this situation moving forward and, and what they're going to do to try to use the power that the LDS church wields to yes. to root out racism. I, I mean, the fact is, you don't get to pick, you don't get to choose when to use that power. It's not a convenience thing. You're the LDS church. You have massive power globally. It's just the truth. And 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 I think that that with that power comes certain responsibility. And I, and I just think that that BYU has to execute on that. And 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 I know it's not an easy thing to say or an easy thing to accept, but at the end of the day, Tom Homo is right. He is accountable. Tom Homo is right. He is the athletic director. So with that being the case, I would expect a plan to be rolled out and publicized on how they're going to handle this in the future, even if it is just how teams in Australia or Seattle or Chicago handle it. You need to come out and say, Hey, this is how how we want people to get our attention with this stuff. This is how we want to go about it. That needs to be said. Yeah, it's interesting as we talk about this situation at BYU Volleyball um, here on the Monty Show. Guy Holiday coming up in 20 minutes. Um, you know, one of the interesting things you brought up there is the, the reach and the influence of the LDS Church. And I, I think there's tremendous, tremendous responsibility in that. And I think, man, that's a... That's such a heavy thing. Like if you think about the just the the how many human beings the LDS church reaches every day. Man, I, I if it's tomorrow comprehensible. If tomorrow, just to put this into perspective, if tomorrow 
the leaders of the LDS church on the global level came out and said, hey, every one of our missionaries is going to do something, and I don't know what the example would be, but is going to do a certain thing that pushes our our agenda of rooting out racism, what would that do on a global stage? Do you know how many missionaries there are in the world for the oh, LDS man. church? Like, that's what I mean when I say they have power. Like, they have influence, and I think that, you know— Maybe it's unrealistic to expect them on that big of a stage to do something like this. But I, I think, again, BYU and specifically Tom Homo have a responsibility to come out and, and share a game plan. You, you have to do that. Yep, I agree. Casey Finlinson, good morning to you. Uh, Casey says, as a BYU employee, fan, and member of the LDS Church, we had a very frank and serious discussion with my kids about how wrong this situation was and how they have to be at the center for change. They have to be the center for change. Uh, they need to stand up for their values and call out wrong when they see it and hear it. Yeah, I think you have to do that. Yeah, see, and I love That's that. That's the and, very and, minimum. And my, my hope is, and again, I have no shame in saying it, I don't have the perspective of being LDS because I'm not LDS. I'm not, and I have no shame about that. Like, like I think that that folks like Casey, you're, you're doing your job as a yes. parent when you have that conversation and then your kids go out and do something. Like, I think that's great work, and I hope that, a lot of households have that conversation. I, I think, yeah, obviously, it's incredibly important. Uh, Dax says, uh, my wife and I had a very good constructive conversation about it last night. We live in Provo, and it's pretty eye-opening that something like that could happen so close to us. Wow. How about that perspective? Jesus. That, I mean, that, and, I mean, and that's what I mean. It's super impactful. Like, again, wow. Provo, before, uh, before Friday night, I think we can all agree that from an athlete's perspective, like, you know, when Kalani's going out and trying to get the Southern California kid, let's say, as an example. Think about Jamal Williams Jamal before Williams. he came to. I mean, exactly. that's a kid exactly. that is from the Inland Empire. I think Fontana. I could be wrong. But think about if he had heard about this BYU volleyball incident before he chose to commit to BYU. I mean, think about the damage that this does to the BYU brand athletically, socially, um, in in the, the community of faith. Like, just think about all the repercussions this had, like, Flipped on Fox News this morning, talking about this. Mm -hmm. Flipped on CNN, talking about this. Mm -hmm. Flipped on Sports Center, talking about this. It's a this. huge deal. It like everybody's talking about this situation with this Duke volleyball player. And but I, what I want to say, and I say this every time, I said it about the Deshaun Watson conversation and situation. I said it about the Trevor Bauer situation, and I'll say it to BYU. While this, while this situation is incredibly uncomfortable, if you're BYU, and it's incredibly uncomfortable. If you are a student at BYU, if you're like Casey and you know you're an employee at BYU and you you're you're in that uh, in that culture every day, I also think that this is a big opportunity to to affect change. That's what I think these situations are. Because again, I'm gonna keep saying it: you're never going to stop someone from rolling up to a sporting event, BYU or otherwise. In saying this stuff, it's not about the fact simply that it happened because it's going to continue to happen. Unfortunately, that's just the world we live in. But what you can change is A, your response to it, B, the proactive um, approach you take to it in the community. Like, would anyone be surprised if next week BYU announced, specifically Tom Homo announced, an initiative where where they are doing something that, that furthers the anti-racism you know, messaging and, and efforts. I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I would say I would expect something like that. That's what BYU should do.
I think it's really important because on CNN, as you just said, and on Fox News, we're getting, hey, racist bomb at BYU on black Duke volleyball player. Instead, what we should be getting is, hey, racist bomb at BYU on Duke volleyball player and BYU handled it perfectly. BYU was aggressive and handled it just how it should have been handled, but we're not getting that. So you got to take that opportunity. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I just think, yeah, I man. What it's I mean. crazy. This thing, it, 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 just hearing you say that, like, yeah, like, this is all over the news. It is, it is it's incredible. It's a big deal. I like uh, last night getting ready for the show. Like, we, I read a ton at night. Like, I, I just read as much as I can. Google News, Apple News, Drudge Report, like, every website had a headline on this. Yeah, it's viral. Like, it, it, it yeah, thank you. It's That's viral. The word. It is viral. It's viral. It is, it is viral. It is, it is crazy. Let's see. Barfing Chicken says, I think it needs to be a conversation about acceptance and not stepping away from people who are openly racist. You can't step away. You, you, I, I agree. You, you have to, you have to do that. Uh, M. Morris says, if you believe it, it's not hard to talk about. That's interesting. I, what, give me a little more on that. Yeah, what, what, what do you mean, what by, do you that? mean by that? Yeah. Uh, Lokeman says, do Mormon preachers speak about race in church? I don't know. I haven't never been to an LDS church. We have plenty of people who are LDS listening. Uh, maybe, you know, if some, if one of you could answer that or comment on that, that would be much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Cooper Jones says, what are you talking about? Racism is insanely rebuked in the church and in home. Stop looking at Utah and the church like that. So there you go. So, so he's saying there that it is talked about and it is said, hey, that we have no place for that. So that's great. I mean, that's what that's what. I want to be seeing. That's what that's what I I think w needs to be said. So you know, I think that um, yeah, like I said, I think the LDS faith and the church community has a responsibility. And, and uh, yeah, I am glad to hear that they do talk about and it. And by the way, no matter what the church does here, the church is going to be wrong. I mean, they they there's well, so there's no yeah. way like you can have you know the quorum. You can have anybody you want. Joseph Smith can come back and make a statement about how wrong it was that this Duke volleyball player was racially abused. And what, what, are, what are people going to say? Well, I mean, what else would you have the church say? Yeah. Like, I mean, it doesn't matter. The LDS church is going to take a beating over this. I mean, it, it, just, is, it just is what it is, unfortunately. Um, Brandon Butler says, be the change you want to see in the world. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Dave Heath, I cannot believe in 2022 that we are talking about how the N-word is being thrown around like it's 1940. We need to do better and be better humans. Yeah, dude, I perfectly said, literally, I, I, I that's exactly what I agree with that 100%. Casey Finlinson says, uh, in my congregation, we do. We teach that all are God's children, which is, which is what, you know, talking to um, an LDS friend of mine last night, that's what that's what he told me. And I do think that there is some, you know, like nationally, like someone in, let's just use New York City as an example. Someone in New York City hearing Tom Homo say, hey, we need to be better as children of God. I think that there are some people who get a little burnt out or a little perturbed by the children of God portion. I think there are many people who would just love to hear Tom Homo be like, hey, yeah, we need to be better as people like children of God or otherwise, this is completely un unacceptable. But he's right. If you are, yeah. but, but think about it this way. Yeah. 
if if you are a a God fearing Christian, yes, this behavior cannot go cannot stand. Yeah, totally. It, you, totally. You, you should be outraged as a Christian. I just think some that people this have, behavior happened. I think I think there are, are some people who just have trouble with the religious piece, and I and and I would encourage you not to get burned out on it or perturbed by it. I think what you have to understand is it is literally a fabric of life for people in Provo. Like well, that, it just is. I, I think I think Christianity as a convenience is very real for some people. It is it is it is a I mean it's a plague across all faiths, right? Um there was a you know one of the things we talked about earlier this year was the the drive by the church to make Sunday you know, a, 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 a truly holy day, like, right. Hey, you know, like you shouldn't be going to the grocery store. You shouldn't be working or well, making we other saw people the work. And yeah. And, and, and yeah. I think those, those things that happens in our community regularly, but we have to call out if, if we are a community of faith, right? So if the LDS church is a community of faith, you have to call out Christianity as a convenience. Yeah. And I I think the the term Jack Mormon is a horrible term, mm-hmm. but what it stands for as hey I just want to say that I'm I'm Mormon so that my X Y Z or I get this or I get that or Christianity Mormonism you know faith by convenience has to be called out and God it's bless. absolutely part of this yeah it's absolutely part of this it yeah. is. Um, Barfing Chicken says, telling a child to avoid being racist won't stop them from hating people. It will just keep them doing racist things unintentionally and discreetly. Yeah, but I don't think anyone, I, I don't think some well, of the I comments we've, yeah, they're not telling that. their kids to be, to to avoid it or whatever, just casually. No. I think the conversation is, hey, like, this happened and you need to understand why it's a problem. Jimmy Touchdown gives us $2 so that he can say, um, gives us $2 so he can say BYU equals grifters. You're going to have to explain that. Yeah, what does that even what mean, does that bro? Mean? D. Bishop says, I've never given money to any social platform, but I am today. Great job, guys. Never bury your head. Never bury your head in the dirt and be true to our hearts as a nation. I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. I think it's just, I think it's just really important that you guys listen. When things like this happen, we got to talk about it. You, you have to be able to openly and honestly discuss this stuff because when you when you're like nah this is a sports show like if you're gonna run from these difficult conversations nothing's ever gonna change young young black women are gonna come to Provo to play volleyball and they're gonna get abused and and as a community are we are you okay with that I'm not okay with that yeah I'm not like I I just think we have to be better than that you know what I mean like we can't we can't not talk about things because it makes us feel uncomfortable or we can't not. Furthermore, the other thing that, and not to be redundant, but I think this conversation matters, not talking to our kids about this stuff and not having open and honest discussions. If if you are on the side of, hey, racism cannot stand. Do you, do you understand that people uh, that are racist and hold racist beliefs talk to their kids about this on a daily basis? Yes, it's teachings. You, you understand that, right? Like, so as... As people that, and I can only speak for me, and Jake is my son, 
Like, I can tell you, we talked about this during his childhood. We talked about this last night when we were getting ready for the show. Like, we talk about this stuff on a regular basis because you can't just let it permeate and continue to going, whether it's shootings or issues with cops and equality or, uh, you know, this young black woman at BYU being racially abused, having her life threatened. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, son, this is why we can't have that. Get your life threatened at a volleyball game, It's crazy. Bro. Like It's crazy. How? Yeah, I don't. How does that I don't, happen? I don't understand it. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears uh, as we talk about um, this situation in Provo on Friday. Um, real quick, I want to play this this bite from Tom Homo again because I think it is really important. I want to make sure that uh, that people hear this. Tom Homo, obviously the um, athletic director at BYU. Um, I want to play this one part of what he said because I do think this is this is critically important. I asked that everyone at all of our games that represent BYU, that you will have the courage to take a stand and be able to take care of each other, and more importantly, the guests, our guests who we invite to come and play here so that we can be disciples of Christ and show it in every way. I love how Cougar Nation how The Rock and all our fans are incredibly in support of our teams. Cheer them on as loud as you can, but do not cross the line where you would hurt or harm anyone in any way. Love you, Cougs. Thanks. That is BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo. A pleasure to welcome in uh, Guy Holiday, former wide receiver coach at BYU. Coach, first of all, Great to see you, sir. I appreciate you joining the show. What are your thoughts when you when you hear this situation about this this young woman from Duke being abused because, frankly, she was black, and you hear Tom Homo's words on Saturday after that happened? What is your reaction to that? Well, obviously, I know Tom Homo well. Uh, knew him before I came to BYU, and I know <clears throat> I do know he hurts deep inside. I mean, some of Tom Homo's. Um, closest friends of people of the nature of Ronnie Lott. I know him and Ronnie are super close. Ronnie came back uh, to uh, he came up to BYU when I was there. Um, it's it hurts me. It doesn't it doesn't surprise me and I'm not saying that because it's at BYU. Let's get that squared away. I, my time at BYU I never had an incident. I never had anything remotely close to that but what i am saying is that we're in a dangerous place um in our country right now where it is just popular to say whatever the hell you want to say and that's the way it is and um hmm. I, I think it started with um a political sector being you know leading our country through name calling and uh, regardless of what your political views are, there's just a certain way if you're a politician or if you're a professional that you carried yourself and, and you didn't allow it to become personal. Now everything is so personal. Um, and so it, it's this report, this is it's disappointing. But let's let's not be put out, bury our heads in the sand as people uh, as my mother would, would say back when I was a kid. And we've had incidents at the Utah Jazz game. We've, we've had incidents, obviously, 
up in Davis County. We've had these incidents that are going on. And, and quite frankly, the thing that is very frightening for me, it used to be the older generation, my generation, um, where the ignorance was, was prevalent. Now it's the younger generation. And that's very, very frightening because, um, you know, you made a valid point. Racism is taught. It, 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 you don't grow up being a racist. You're taught to be a racist. And, and that's what's so unfortunate. And in a, in a university like University of Utah, where I believe, and I, I don't know the exact st statistic, but I, I, I believe that the minority population as a whole is 1%, um, you can easily, in, in an environment of that nature, find people uh, like you that believe like you. And uh, it was 19, what, 78, I believe it is, when uh, the church said that African-Americans or people of color or, and I, I don't know the exact um, rules, whether it was African-American or black people, right, African, right. I, I don't know, were allowed to, to uh, uh, gather the, or gain the priesthood in, in the church. And so we're talking about less than 30 years ago. So there's still going to be sentiments, uh, whether it's right or wrong, they're, they're going to, they're not going to be accepting of that. Uh, for, for a young lady to come into an arena and my times of being, um, the three times that that word has been said to me, um, Two of them have been in athletics. It's unfortunate. One uh, at a rivalry game in the South, um, and it, it 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 really caught me off guard going off the field. That was my first, and then another one um, as an athlete hearing it, and um, you know, and and I've heard, oh, why didn't they stop play? Why did? Because you're taught as an athlete, you play the game, and and. You hear a lot of things. That word is obviously one of the most repulsive things that you can hear. Uh, but, man, I, I've, I've heard a lot of things that are, are uh, quite frankly, disrespectful, and you learn to take it. Um, I just think that when you cross the line, and, and let's – obviously the line was crossed. Where I'm more disappointed is um, the fans should have been removed during the game. I, I think I get it that you pay a price and you get, but you still don't get to say whatever the hell you want to say to people. You yeah. don't get to demean people. And, and, and I, I get all the arguments about all oh, the word is used in, in, um, in cultural means and it's accepted. I'm not for the word period. Let, I want to get that squared away, but just because somebody else uses, you know, damn well is wrong. Okay, yes. you know yes. it's offensive, and you're using it in an offensive matter. Uh, if you call me boy, I know what the word boy means in my childhood. I know when you're referred to that. Yeah, my mother can say, boy, you better get up and do something. And as a grown <laughs> right. man, if she said it, I would still respect the fact that she's my mother. But just walking down the street and the guy calls me a boy, and you know the context that the word is being used in. Um, I'm just really disappointed. I, I, I'm, 
I'm speechless. I, I, I just can't imagine a college student or saying that. I, it, it just blows my mind. But yeah, the underbelly in our society is there. The underbelly is on every campus. The thing, one of the reasons why we can't accomplish anything and you hit on it is because we refuse to acknowledge it. We refuse to talk about it. We we always want to push it away. Oh, this was an isolated incident. Or and and what always bothered me about the BYU Utah rivalry, if something ha- oh that's just a U. That's a U. That's how a U would do. You know. And now yeah. now yes. that we have it at BYU's campus, oh that's just that's just the Mormon church. That's what they believe. Hell no. It's not about BYU Utah. It's about people. It, it's about yeah, there's some, excuse my language, some sick asses in the Mormon church. There's some sick asses in the Catholic church. There's some sick asses in that go to University of Utah. There's some that go to BYU. There's some that go to Weber State. There's some that go to U, UVU. It's not an yeah. institutional problem. It, it is a problem within us, and we refuse to acknowledge it. We refuse to talk about it. I'm not... A Twitter fiend, but I read the comments after the uh, the young lady's grandmother or godmother, whatever she was, came out, and I read some of those comments. I don't believe it happened. I need video proof. Now, why would a person from North Carolina, and it, I, some suggested she's running for office? It was political. Like guys, come on, get over yourselves. They're not. They're not. It's not because she was at BYU and they have something against. Trust me, a student at Duke could care less about BYU. I, I And I know that may piss some people off. A student at Duke could care less about University of Utah. Heck, a student at Duke could care <laughs> less about the University of, Southern, University of Southern California. A student at Duke, if they're going to victimize somebody, it's going to be at Winston, it's going to be at Wake Forest, or if they play Winston-Salem State, or if they play North Carolina, or if they play North Carolina A&T. Get over yourselves. Yeah. It's not about trying to victimize your university. This is something that's wrong. This is something that is going to continue if we don't have open dialogue. Just look at where we are as in a country right now and, and, and the things that we're saying. I mean, I read an article, and I know some people don't consider the Salt Lake Tribune a, a, a credible source, but I read an article where parents – said a a young lady competing in a in a competition looked too masculine are you kidding me are you kidding me how can you as a parent do that just because your child got beat so now the other young lady has to let's stop you know i i get all the all the other arguments i i understand uh transgender competing those are but to just come out and say, oh, she looked too masculine. God, we we got to get over ourselves and we got to get to a point where we can sit down at the table and talk and talk. And I know BYU has a um, an African-American student population or group that uh, they recorded some things, posted them. And, and you know, People didn't watch or didn't hear the honest responses from some of these young kids. And they're being taught and they're being led by us. This is on us as adults. Those are still kids. I mean, at 22, 
and I know maybe everybody that that you know were, was fully grown at 22, or maybe they went on a mission and they had, you know, and they they feel like no, they're 22 guys. Yeah, they're still going to make stupid mistakes. Yeah, and they're still under the influence of their parents. Like That's awesome. we have to come to grips and and take hold. I mean, at 22. You, <laughs> You you still learning how to wipe your 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 butt clean? I mean, come on, let's be real. <laughs> You're still wet behind the ears. Yeah. Like we we don't want to we don't want to hold anybody to a standard. And if it's not in our favor, then it's wrong. That's yeah. what kills me about the media now. Whether it's CNN, whether it's it's freaking Fox, whether it's MSN, or, or what? A, I I can't even watch it anymore because it all has a spin on it. Instead of reporting the freaking news, stop having a, a, a freaking opinion. Let people have opinions of their own. Yeah. And, and until we come together and be able to sit down at a university, at a university such as BYU, where the average test score to get in, we all know is well above 20. And we know that the GPA is well above 3.5. For the for the average everyday student, as students turn down every day who want to get in that are LDS, we can't correct this problem amongst the educated. Yeah. Amongst what we think are the future leaders uh, of of the LDS church, amongst what we think are the future leaders and uh, amongst the state of Utah, amongst what we think are the future leaders in this country to lead Fortune 500 com companies or startups or whatever it may be. We can't fix it there. Then where can we fix it? Coach Guy Holiday joins us on the Monty Show as we talk about this situation with uh, BYU volleyball versus Duke the other night. And Coach, I wonder in your experience, you said a minute ago that you never had um, an issue like this personally when you were in BYU. But talk me through what your experience. What was it like in in Provo? I mean, obviously. You're a very strong personality. Obviously, you're somebody that was involved in the football program as a wide receiver coach. So what was life like for you as a black man in Provo, working in Provo? Well, and see, it's very interesting. Obviously, um, there, there's two factors that come into play. Being biracial as, as far as being African-American in Samoan, um, you know, you, you really see – two different perspectives because obviously um in a polynesian community the they're far more when you look at uh per capita let's say per 100,000 uh as far as the population there's far more lds members uh so and in the african-american community the community i was raised in honestly in my community i never saw never saw never heard of a, a LDS person or Mormon or whatever, never saw a missionary. Uh, and if I was a missionary, I wouldn't have come into my community either. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I would, it wasn't familiar until I, I went to school on the West Coast and, and actually enrolled in class. And it wasn't even an issue. I didn't know. The thing that always struck me and, and really hurt me to a degree um, if people coming up and asking, are you LDS? Why does that matter? Ask me, am I a good person? Who cares if I'm LDS? Ask me if you want it to be of a, a religious tone. Ask me, 
Am I Christian? Am I, am I Muslim? Who gives a flying flip if, if I belong to the LDS church or if I'm raised Baptist? I don't. I the thing that always startled me is I never walked around and said, "Hey, are you Baptist?" You know, I, <laughs> right, I never right. asked that question. Never, right. not once. So, uh, but the people there, oh man, that, they they treated me great. And let's not, you know, when you're a coach, when you're an athlete and you represent that university, you are treated differently. You just are. And, and, and you know, it, it's like Russell Westbrook coming in, representing a, whomever he was, Houston, right? He's been with quite a few teams, but I can't remember mm -hmm. what team he's with at, at that time. Uh, and hearing those words, a Utah Jazz player never heard those words. You know, never. Thurl Bailey, whether it's Thurl Bailey, whether it's Carl Malone, whether, it, you know, and, and to go over the great players throughout the Utah Jazz history, whether it's, it's Donovan Mitchell, uh, it doesn't mean it exists. It just means that unless you are a true extremist, those people that play for you, oh, they're, they're not really black. You know, they're not really, they're, they're the good ones. Okay. We got to get rid of that. Um, I never had it. Tom Homo uh, always treated me like a brother. You know, and 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 we do go back, and 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 um, all the people in the athletic department always treated me uh, with open arms. Now, mm. uh, walking across campus, oh hell yeah, you realize you're different. I mean, you know, you realize that you're in the minority. It, it, it's it's easy uh, to be that way. Uh, but don't get me wrong, if I walk across. And I've been on a lot of college campuses. Uh, if I walk across University of Iowa, yeah, you know, yeah, you feel yeah. like a minority. Hell, when you walked across University of Southern California's campus back in the early 80s, you felt like a minority in a whole different way because you were outnumbered by the other minorities. So <laughs> you were a minority even within the minorities. Um, uh, and you, you have, I, I remember Bronco Mendenhall and Robert and I used to use a word uh, that at first, when I first heard it, it was offensive, uh, to me. And then I realized exactly what they were saying. They, they would say you're a double minority, you know, you represent a different class. That's why we need you here. And I'm like, what the, how the hell am I a double minority? <laughs> right. You know? And then I realized what they were saying as a person of color. And obviously Robert and I, who's one of my best friends, man, I have great respect for, and, and Bronco, I have great respect for you know, I understood him being minority and but being a member of the church. Uh, I was a double minority uh, who crossed all kind of lines because I wasn't a member of the church. Um, I had a couple classes short of a master's in theology. So I had a background from that standpoint. And let's let's be honest, my per I know my personality and I know I'm an aggressive in your face dominant type of personality no uh, that, that that may have made me a triple minority <laughs> so, uh, but at no point at byu did i witness this now in the state there are some places i went recruiting um and i wasn't at byu then i was at the university of utah uh where we would do a blitz what's called a blitz and we would blitz the state and there are some places that i was assigned to go into Oh, I, I, I could feel some tensions. Uh, I could feel it. I'm not going to 
you know, and there were, uh, there's a school in Utah County, um, that, uh, uh, not in Provo or Orm, that's a little bit further out that I could feel like, who is this guy walking in? Um, you know, yeah. I definitely going out to Roy high school. Uh, I didn't, but the people at Roy were totally different. They have a cross section and it was great to go into Roy high school. I mean, this is where Jim McMahon went, who I knew and, and, and a lot of different athletes, but you really saw a cross section of people, uh, that are just different. And then to go up to park city, you know, where I don't even know if park city's in Utah. You know, that that whole demeanor is totally is totally different. So it it is really uh, a state that has pockets of um, just some they don't they don't see people of color very rarely. And when they do, um, a lot of those people of color who. They are um, they're adopted uh, by uh, which I admire uh, because kids of color are the least adopted kids in the country, but they're also raised in a, um, in a, in a society, not in a society, but in, in surroundings, which sometimes aren't appreciative or have an understanding of, uh, people of color or what they may have gone through. You know, they're, they're pretty much bought into, a society or, or, or surroundings and saying this way is the right way. Um, this is the only way. And that's not always healthy uh, for those young people because they, they have, a, they have to have an identity themselves. Um, but my time yeah. in my time in Utah County, my time at BYU, my time at Utah, which I think is also important. I never experienced it. Uh, and, and now we have, instances at both universities where it's just circumstances that that are forget them being unacceptable they're just downright hurtful they hurt you as a person you know i i can't imagine and i don't know what when i was at byu man they had some great polynesian australian or, or players of color particularly on the men's volleyball team i'm more worried about the student athlete that's there yeah that uh that is of color. And, and now when they're walking across that campus, you know, you, you, until you walked in my shoes, don't tell it, don't tell me what it is to be me. So, and, and I'm, I'm big on that. Like, I can't tell you what it is to walk across BYU's campus as a, as a member of the LDS church or go to a, um, a religious outing as a member of the LDS church, uh, I can tell you what it's like to go as a non-member. I can tell you what it's like to go as a person of color. So I can't tell you what it is to walk across that campus and to be in a majority and tell you how that feels. Uh, But I can tell you what it's like to be a minority. So if you really want to know, just come talk to me, walk with me. And, And I need to do the same to understand where you're coming from. And we need to be able to sit down and have an articulate discussion, and we may agree to disagree. That's okay. But if we don't talk about it and we think it's going to change, then we're all ignorant. We're we're just ignorant. Coach Guy Holiday joins us. No, you're good. Coach Guy Holiday joins us on the Monty Show. Can Morgan Scally be the head coach at Utah after what happened with him and the incident involving him and race? 
Uh, that's a, a deep question. And I would say this. I'm a person who believes in forgiveness, and I know Morgan Scully personally. Okay, Morgan, um, when things went sideways for me at Utah through really on my own point, because I didn't communicate what was going on in, in my life at that time, being um, not feeling well and going through some things uh, mentally, which if I was open about that, as close as I am still to Kyle Whittingham and, and Morgan Scully, I'd, I'd still be at the University of Utah, I'm sure. Um, and I'm, I believe in second chances. I believe in a person's heart. I know his heart. Uh, so, uh, it'll happen. I believe it at the university of Utah, uh, because the one thing about it, people will always be supportive of people they believe in. Um, now across the country, would it happen? I don't know if people can forget. I don't know if people will forgive in this, in this, um, dynamic. But if you ask me at the University of Utah, yeah, and do I think he'll do a good job? I, I really do. Do I think I know his heart? I do. And I'm sure if nothing else, when it all transpired, I'm sure, and I know, not I'm sure, because I know him as a person and I know he had to go inside and do some soul searching. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and if nothing else, if you don't emerge a better person from that, then you have an issue that's unfixable. And, and so I'm sure Morgan will do, uh, if he's given opportunity, an outstanding job. And I'm sure, um, you, you know, that it, guys, it, you know, people are more willing to forgive people who they identify with than they are non-identifying. In other words, and don't take this the wrong way. Wow. Uh, or you can take it, you can take it any way you like to, honestly, um, I the the African American community is more likely to forgive an African American who stepped out and did something wrong than per se the white community. I'm I'm just being brutally honest. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. the the LDS community and the the donors at the University of Utah are going to be more likely to forgive Morgan Scully than they would uh, a person who that they don't know in that direction that they because let's let's be totally totally honest we all want to believe that that person that we know that wasn't them okay that's that's just human nature mm -hmm. i've never if you turn on a tv and and just listen to when a young person and i'm Believe me, my, right now, my city of Baltimore, Maryland is at its all time low. It's out of control. And every time I follow a story because my family's still there and they're in that commune in one of the communities that is under attack. I've never had heard a person that was murdered not be a good person. Yes. Yes. They also he's a great person. He was a great guy because they're family. So we want to see them that way, no matter what they were doing at that time. They were great people, you know, and, and, and that's natural for us to defend those that we love and respect. You know, it's natural for me to have a different view of Morgan Scully because we shared we sat in the same bunker, per se, as coaches. 
So in my heart of hearts, I believe it. Uh, but if I'm on the outside looking in, I have a different spectrum. So and I, I think that's what's that's what's difficult for me as a as a coach. And some people say that, well, you're a person of color. You got. Yeah, but I'm a person of color that shared a common goal with a person of the majority. And it's no different than sharing that same common goal with Bronco Mendenhall. It's no different. We're different people, but we shared that same thing. And I see Bronco Mendenhall in a totally different light than people who weren't there. I know how much that man cared about his players. I know how much Kyle Whittingham truly cares and he gives second chances to so many different people, you know, so it's easy to stand on the outside and judge it, but being there and, and, and being with them fighting tooth and nail for your jobs every, every, every week, because that's what you're doing. Um, you know, you have a different perspective. I hope I answered your question. Oh, you did spectacularly well, as usual. Coach Guy Holiday joins us on the Monty show. What happened with you at Utah? You know, I think obviously, you know, that was a very difficult exit um, at Utah for you. And I think, you know, the, the, you know, all the Twitter stuff and the, so just, you know, if you don't mind, and if you don't want to oh, talk I, about it, I totally get it. What happened no, no, with I, you I, at Utah? I'm very open about what happened. Well, first of all, to my sons and, and, uh, you know, I, I am a very, even within my own family, I'm a very, um, when it comes to certain things, I keep things to myself. I only share them with my wife and I always tell her, okay, we need to keep, but, uh, some things had gotten away from me. I didn't have the same energy. So we obviously we lost a couple players to transfer portal. Um, you know, we had a couple, I had another player who had some issues and I was doing everything I could to help him. And, and then we had two receivers who I recruited that, um, they stepped out and, and, and they just did things uh, uh, accused and, you know, accused of some crime. So I think on the outside, it may appear that guy, guy's losing it. You know, doc, as most people call me, he's, yep. you know, something's wrong. He, he's not into it. He's not, he's not the same guy who didn't have energy. Well, nobody knew that, that I had a, a system in the back of my neck that was pressing on the stem of my brain. And uh, mm. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know how severe it was at the time. Uh, because what, what are we taught? I've been a gladiator all my life. From the time I was six, I've been in the game. Uh, you're taught, hell, you got to fight through it. You got to get through it. Like, you got you to gotta battle. So I was battling the best I can. I remember having a conversation with Andy Ludwig. And he was like, Doc, what's wrong? Like, we played Washington State and... It was a couple of weeks after they's like, you're not the same guy. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. Maybe it's the COVID thing. Maybe it all took a mental toll, which it did. Uh, it was just a situation where I wasn't healthy. I didn't share it with my, with my sons. I did not know how bad it was at that time uh, until I went and got some real medical advice and, and I had it removed, but it, essentially I wasn't getting the proper blood flow. Uh, because of this was blocking or, or was putting pressure right at the base. And it was football-related injury from years ago that just developed and it moved in the right time. So, um, you know, Coach Witt made a decision, uh, and I'll say this, I won't say uneducated. He made what he thought 
was the right decision. And then, um, you know, I'm really good friends with Whit and Mark Harlan, the AD. So uh, even before they knew, um, uh, Jeff Rudy, who was a really good friend of mine, that's an mm-hmm. assistant AD, he knew. He knew something was wrong. And he would say, Doc, something is wrong, man. Something is you're not the same DOC, you know, and yeah. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm hurting Rudy. And I would tell Rudy I'm hurting. And, uh, finally they kept my benefits in place, kept me on contract, which most people don't know. Um, you know, all I ever cared about was my players. And, uh, so I just wanted to be there for them, but at some point you got to be there for yourself. And yes. I wasn't there for myself. So after, which will be, my second season off this year, I'm fully healthy. I'm ready to go. Uh, whether I'll get back into coaching, I don't know. I, I'll tell you what, you, you get time to spend time with your family and the people that you love and you realize that you're giving everything to a game and uh, your family's been there to support you and you aren't, um, you're shorting your family all the time. And, and, and so I think I may, but, to be honest with you, the whole NIL, the, the transfer portal. I mean, we, we lost two really good players in Samson, the and Brian Thompson. And, and I've been knowing in the for years, uh, yeah. when Kai obviously came to BYU, um, the middle brother who, you know, I thought was more talented than Samson or Kai. And, uh, so I knew the family and, and that hurt me, but I understood because there was some things that he was going through uh you know that that he had to address and he sent me a great email when he signed as a free agent or reached out to me on social media so you know that and then losing brian thompson that that was two of our top players uh and sometimes you know the outside influences now are so i mean you got guys reaching out to kids you got trainers you got nlr guys they need to be doing this they need to be doing that um, you know, and, and, and really, and truly, you know, both left and both didn't have the career that they thought they would have. I'm sure by leaving Samson, who was injured, uh, at Utah quite a bit, was it got injured again at BYU, always spectacular in the moment. Uh, and then Brian Thompson transfers to Arizona state and really almost disappears. And he was our yeah. number one guy at, uh, at, at Utah. So, but in talking to both of those kids, um, you know, they, they were influenced by outside influences and, and you always think the grass is greener elsewhere. And, and sometimes it just isn't. Um, yeah. You got to water the so, grass that you're standing on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My mother used to always say, don't farm another man's land because if you're out there farming his land and your land is dying, uh-huh. Yeah. So, it but is, you have uh, too much to give, Coach. Yeah, I, I see, and I, I don't know you personally, but having covered you and having talked to your players about you, I mean, I just think you, you have too much to give to those to those individuals. It's it would be hard for me, from my perspective, anyway. And again, I, obviously, I don't know you personally, but it would be hard to think that you you're never going to give to a player again, or that you're never going to coach again. That would be I. That seems almost unfathomable to me. That's probably uh, you sound about like my wife. Uh, <laughs> I, I think those who those who know me, they know that uh, I and I always have a saying, I'll never let you cheat the game that saved my life. And so there's a side of me that feels like I'm cheating the game because I do feel like I have so much to give 
young people. Um, I, 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 this game got this game got to get a college degree. And this game always talk about, you know, people always want to know your background as a player. I don't ever talk about my background as a player because that's irrelevant to me. Uh, what I always wanted to talk about is the players I coached. Um, hell, I haven't put a uniform on in over 30 plus, what is it? Uh, close Easy to 30 now. years now. Easy so, now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I am, I'm working, uh, I have a facility in Phoenix, Arizona, where we're training kids. We're opening a facility. But even then, I was on a high school sideline uh, just watching a game on Friday. And man, that blood went through me and I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. I'm, I'm like a cocaine <laughs> addict right now. I want to get out there and, and freaking get involved. And I'm watching this kid do this. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That's not how you do that. You know, we got to coach these, you got to coach your kids better, you know. And I even went to a youth league game on Saturday and watched as one of the kids that I've been working with. And I'm listening to the coaches howling and screaming. And I'm just sitting there going, well, if he's doing that, you didn't teach it. Now, you can blame him, but you got to figure out a way to teach it, to reach him versus just telling him. You know, that's one thing that we love to do. We love to just tell people what to do, but you reach people. Every person is reached differently. You and I could sit in the classroom and let the classroom of life and we learn totally different, you know, yeah. and or the classroom of math. You can teach me math one way we you can teach you another way. It's the teacher's job to learn how I learn, to learn how Tim learns. And and that's what I think I miss from. And I, I miss being around the players. I miss the energy and I miss the competition. Like there's no there's no greater feeling in, in life to uh, to watch another person celebrate victory and you're there celebrating with them. I, I can't think of a better feeling. And there's no worse feeling um, than to lose, you know, and that's yeah. that's what you miss. But you miss the bonds of being in the bunker, like I said, with Morgan Scali or being in the bunker with uh, Aaron, Aaron Roderick at BYU, who I know well. You miss those relationships. You miss putting your arm around a kid when you know he's struggling at home and you you can identify because you had those same struggles, you know, and I wish like right now, I would love to be in the heart of BYU's campus. I would love to talk to the person they barred from. And I would love to talk to the, to the athletes, both of color and non-color, um, you know, just, just to say, Hey guys, this is, you know, we got to talk about this. You know, we can't yeah. keep saying, Oh, this is the minority. We know, this is the minority. Well, let me tell you something. We have we have a problem right now of uh, people just killing people in our country right now. And we can sit there and say, oh, they're in the minority. Yeah, they're in the minority until one of those people affect you personally. And then yeah. all of a sudden, that's not the minority anymore. That's real life. That is maybe it's your family member that was held up at gunpoint. Maybe it's your family member that was shot. Or, or maybe, you know, because our big thing is now a call to arms, maybe it, it, it truly came in your home and you had to shoot someone and maybe it wasn't an intruder. Maybe it yeah. was saying you made that mistake and you take another person's life because I, that's something I've never been a part of. I've never been in the military. I've never, you know, done those things. But I've, I've had relatives who did serve. I mean, the two, 
my two father figures in my life were both um, in in the one both served in Vietnam and one in, even in Korea, I believe. And and you look at the lasting effects of seeing people die and taking other people's lives. That's real, guys. That's that's no joke. And that's what we're facing here uh, in our society. And we're so busy arguing about damn woke society and all these other names that we we have the far left, the far right. Man, at the end of the day, we're people. And yeah. and get get rid of your freaking agendas and let's talk about the agenda of life. How are we going to make this a better place? And if you do it my way, that's the only way. Well, that you know that 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 way doesn't work. We know that. That's called yeah. that's called dictatorship. You know, we know that doesn't work. We always talk about communist country. Well, we know that doesn't work. That doesn't make people happy. People come to this country because they want a second chance. They want an opportunity to exceed because whether or not we're seeing as the country and um, and right now the bottom line is I want you to have an opportunity as long as it doesn't take away from my pie. Now yeah. when you start my pie, I don't get to eat my family. I have no problem with that. You know, that's yep. that's that's our attitude right now, in my opinion. Sorry about yep. that. Didn't mean to go off on a time. No, nah, you're good. There. Coach, I appreciate you very much. I, I You came on the show on short notice on uh, a, a very important topic. So good to see you. I am glad you are healthy. And uh, let's not wait so long next time. I look forward to talking to you again. I look forward to it. I'll be back in Utah. I plan on coming to BYU to a game. And uh, I'm going to come to University of Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the state of Utah and I, I, and I hate it, but we're ignorant if we put our heads in the sand and can't see the problems like we, yes, or they sir. don't exist in my neighborhood. We're, we're ignorant if we do that. And hopefully we'll that there's some good people to be white and, and, um, hopefully they'll fix it. I have great respect for Kevin Worthen. And a, and a great amount of respect for Tom Homo. Both of those men I know personally. Both of those men I know will get it right. And uh, But we're, we're sadly mistaken if we don't underbelly. It's lying there. Not only at University at, at Utah, but in our country right now. And, and we need to stop. And, and the thing with what Tom said, we got to have some courage. And you know it's wrong. Don't be afraid to speak up, because if, if if you're not a solution to the problem, if you're not a solution to the problem, you're part of the problem. That's how I was yes, raised sir. in this game, and everything I know about life probably applies in some shape or form to football. <laughs> but I tell you what, I sure in hell rather be a freaking part of the solution than part of the problem. And those who stand by with closed mouth and closed hands just because they want to survive to get to the next day, eventually it's going to affect your life because you're part of the problem. All right, Coach. Good to see you, man. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Good seeing you. Y'all, y'all take there, care now. There you go. Guy Holiday, really good conversation. Really appreciate him. Um, man, I, I mean, the perspective there, Jake, that you see – um, and the, the conversation that you, that you see there, I mean, I just think his words are so important and I think obviously his perspective is, I mean, when, when you, when you come from his perspective and his way of life, I think you, obviously you just look at things differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why, that's why we have, you know, folks like Guy Holiday on the show. I mean, I think that 
perspective is the key to conversation. I mean, his perspective is is what allows him to 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 have the conversation the way he does, and I think that's incredibly valuable. And I think that again, we've had this. You know, we're what are we two hours, almost two hours into the show on this conversation, and I think it warranted it today. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I I, I will definitely be rewatching that interview <laughs> uh, again because I, I just think there's so many bits of gold in there and so many great talking points that that it's just it's just incredibly valuable man and that's why you have to treasure guys like guy holiday because they just understand it um they've been through certain things and and like you said they have that perspective yeah. that you just can't replicate totally agree with that hey uh the other thing you can't replicate is the shamrock series uh we are sending you to see byu and notre dame in las vegas and you know it's coming up fast uh we're going to be at barbecue pit stop in Lehigh on September 17th, Saturday, September 17th, doing our football Saturday show, leading you up to kickoff of Oregon and BYU. We're going to all watch the game together. And then at halftime of that game, we're going to draw the winner of that trip for two to see BYU and Notre Dame in Las Vegas. We're giving you two nights at the Palms Resort Hotel and Casino, two tickets to see BYU and Notre Dame at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas and a $250 gas card to get you there. Uh, all you have to do to enter is, again, this week and next week, that's it. Get in. Go to Barbecue Pit Stop. Any of them in Logan, Lehigh, Layton, uh, St. George, and in Murray. Uh, there's a box on the counter. Fill out the slip. Drop it in the box. And then we're going to bring all those boxes on September 17th and pull a name. Um, and when you go in there, check out Barbecue Pit Stop for all of their smokers. Man, it just is amazing what they have. No matter what store you go to, like we've, you know, when we were up in Logan, we had a great time, you know, watching. They have a full-time butcher at that store. Mm -hmm. um, most of the stores have a meat counter uh, that you can get wings or brisket. Or, I'm for real. Yeah, absolutely. All of the seasonings at Barbecue Pit Stop, incredible. Um, anything you need, check them out online, bbqpitstop.com, bbqpit, bbqpitstop.com. Check them out, all of that stuff that you need. And of course, our entire uh, program with the BYU, Notre Dame, drive away to see the Shamrock Series in Las Vegas is brought to you by our good friend, Devery Davis at Academy Mortgage. Devery Davis with the Davis Lending Team powered by Academy Mortgage. All right, first time home buyers, listen up. This one's for you. There's a huge misconception on how much it takes to buy a house. Is it 20%, is it 10%, is it 15%? The answer will surprise you. There's four mortgages in the United States. Two of them require no down payment. Two require very minimal down payment. Out of that down payment, um, there's lots of places to get it from. There's state funds, county funds, city funds, lots of ways to buy a house, no money down. When I was 18, I got out of high school, I actually bought a brand new house, no money down, never regretted it if you have questions give me a shout glad to walk you through it have a great one oh devry davis 801-543-9666 devry davis nmls number 278-545 devry davis and academy mortgage are equal housing lenders the biggest story in sports this morning i think probably um there's little doubt that it is this byu duke volleyball situation if you're just tuning into the show coach guy holiday joined us um great conversation with coach he said that while he was at uh, byu he never had an incident um never saw anything personally like what happened at byu volleyball on friday night 
Um, just a really good conversation. We'll have that up uh, on the channel here at YouTube and on our podcast uh, after the show. So make sure you check that out. But without further ado, Jake, we know why people are here. <laughs> we know yes, that people want to uh, yes, hear the yes. very latest on Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks. Why don't you illuminate me? Why don't we illuminate the fan base? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just real quick, though, you said something last night when we were getting ready for the show about burnout on this topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How burned out are you talking about Donovan Mitchell to the next? I mean, it's just evolved so much. And I think that the burnout factor is real for, I mean, for me personally, but I think for the fan base, too. I, I, I think that, you know, at one point we were sort of in this thing where you've got local radio hosts saying they're getting text messages about Donovan Mitchell getting traded, and then they wind up not looking so great when Donovan Mitchell still hasn't been traded, and it's been months after that. You know, you've got the Rudy Gobert trade that happened. Like, you've just got all these situations that have happened for the Utah Jazz over the course of this summer, and we knew it was going to be an active summer, but I think the struggle is is that that we just get seemingly every day a, hey, the Knicks are bringing 58 million picks to the table and Danny Ainge wants more conversation happening. And I think that that's what people are a little bit tired of. And and I I have to agree, like, there is some burnout. And, I, and we're going to talk Lakers here in this Russell Westbrook situation. But I just think that that it's time to, you know, get going with this. Like, the Utah Jazz need to decide what path they're going to take. And I think that it does great injustice to the team and to Donovan Mitchell and the fan base to let this storyline linger into the season. Not that we're there yet, because we certainly are not. Camp has not started. But if you get to camp and this deal isn't done, you need to kind of squash it for a while. You need to say, hey, we're moving on. This is the roster we're going into the season with, and we believe in Donovan Mitchell. And we're going to put a team around him that we feel – uh, can make the playoffs. So that's what I think they need to say at that time. But for now, we get to talk about this Russell Westbrook, th you know, three-team trade situation uh, that I think is really fascinating. The first thing I would say is that I think Danny Ainge um, is not the kind of guy that does buyout deals just to get a deal done. However, I do think it's a really interesting scenario where Danny Ainge can get what he wants uh, via the Russell Westbrook buyout, which is the Lakers' two first-round picks combined with what the Knicks have to offer, and everyone seems to leave the situation a happy camper. Unfortunately, right. I don't think that 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 giving up Donovan Mitchell um, should be as convenient as that. It shouldn't be as casual as that. Donovan Mitchell is a, in my opinion, uh, a generational talent waiting to happen. I think Donovan Mitchell is going to have a career year, um, and I think there is a high risk of if you trade him and you are unable to develop what you get back, and you are unable to really see the see the value come through those draft picks, Donovan Mitchell turns into a superstar in a Knicks uniform, you're going to feel a certain way about that. And that's my biggest fear in this situation, that you do this three-team deal, you get what you want, but it ultimately doesn't work out, and then, the, and then the Utah Jazz get the short end of the stick. And that's what I'm ultimately just really concerned about for this organization them trading away their best player to get what seems like a haul but turns into nothing well I can tell you now I I think as we've reported now for a week or so the the thing that that is very clear is that Danny Ainge is not going to make this deal unless he gets four unprotected first round picks and as we reported last week um you know, and we've been telling you this back to about August 1st, the Lakers have been desperate to be that third team uh, that makes this deal happen between the Knicks and the Jazz 
because they are looking to continue to bolster the depth on their roster. The question ultimately, as it always does in trades in the NBA, comes down to what is fair market value and who's willing to pay a little more to get what they want. Danny Ainge has been steadfast. He's not going to take less than four first-round picks that are unprotected. And if that means he gets two from the Knicks and he gets two from the Lakers, I think that gets this deal done. But the question is, how do you make the finances balance in this? Does it require the Jazz to trade Jordan Clarkson? Well, maybe, but does Jordan Clarkson get a deal done for the Lakers? Does Jordan Clarkson make the Lakers a championship caliber ball club? Because that's what Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka, the general manager of the Lakers, say they need is players in return that will make them a championship caliber club. I don't know, Jake. I, I think certainly Boyan Bogdanovich makes that happen, but does Jordan Clarkson make the Lakers a championship-caliber team? Uh, I mean, I don't know that he makes them a championship-caliber team. I definitely think he makes them better. There's no doubt about that. I think he's a prolific scorer off the bench. I mean, that's kind of obvious, I think, for everybody listening to this show and pretty much every Jazz fan that's out there. I mean, you've got the guy in the Euro qualifiers right now making half-court shots and, and lighting up the world, so yeah. I think it's no secret the guy can put the ball in the hole. I, I, I think... I think what remains very much unknown is what this Jazz team and specifically what Donovan Mitchell and guys like Jordan Clarkson and Boyan Bogdanovich can be in a Will Hardy-led offense. And I think that, to me, is the other side of this conversation no one's having right now. Um, and I mean no one. I haven't heard anybody besides us talk about, hey, what kind of opportunity is Jordan Clarkson going to have in a fast-paced, young-and-gun type offense because that's Jordan's game. That's the kind of guy he is. He wants to play at pace. He wants to get up the floor. He wants to get mismatches. And furthermore, I'd say that's Donovan Mitchell as well. I don't think Donovan Mitchell gets the luxury of just walking the ball up and then using uh, what little size he has to try to get by somebody. He needs to play in transition. He needs to create those opportunities. So that's why I say I just have some reservations about trading a guy in Donovan Mitchell or, you know, the Jordan Clarksons of the world, when you're about to get uh, basically a new car of an offense, that really should put you in a position to put up some career numbers uh, offensively, you know? And and so when I look at buying, buying out a $47.5 million contract, I get that that has great implications from a cap space perspective that will allow you to do basically anything you want to do once you go through that process, and I understand why that's valuable. But what's the stated goal? The stated goal isn't to have cap space. The stated goal is to win championships, according to Ryan Smith. So I just wonder, if you do this, if you go through with this trade, what is the turnaround time, number one? And number two, how many of the guys in this deal and in the Minnesota deal are actually here and contributing to winning a championship versus flipping a lot of those guys like Pat Bev, like you did with him, yeah, you yeah. know, to, to go out and create a team. That's what I think is fascinating. And I think if you're Danny Ainge, I think you have to get get young talent in return. And that I still think the main question is, what is Leon Rose willing to give up? Because Leon's done a very, very good job of not caving on this deal. It would have been Casey easy. conversation gets... Difficult. Yeah, it would have been easy to say, okay, well, give me, you know, Quentin Grimes and we'll take your four picks. And yeah. Leon could have said, yeah, and then made the argument, well, you know what? This is a deal everybody wanted, but Leon hasn't done that. Mm -hmm. And I think Leon Rose, the Knicks boss, has done a very nice job of holding out. And we told you two weeks ago that they were looking for a third team and they may have found that dance partner in the in the LA Lakers. And if the Lakers are willing to give up those two unprotected first round picks, which by the way, 
Chaboy in Kevin Durant, he's the one that I think really has freed this up because I think the Lakers believed that they could get Kyrie Irving. Yeah. And now that Kevin Durant's going back there, I think it's pretty clear that Kyrie Irving is not available. But the question for me, and this is the biggest question I have about Danny Ainge in this entire trade scenario, are you willing to take two first-round picks as a price to either pay out or play out Russell Westbrook's $47 million contract? Um, That's a huge He's never putting question. on a Jazz jersey. I'm just telling you right I now. I would have a hard he's time He's never putting on that. a Jazz jersey. Just uh, like Pat Bev was never going to put one on. With the history Russell Westbrook has, um, again, love it or hate it, right? But the history that Westbrook has with the fan base here, um, and how he's been treated, I don't see Russell Westbrook ever putting on a jersey for the Utah Jazz, and I don't see the Utah Jazz asking him to put on a jersey. I think it, I think it is not a playout situation. Like I don't even think that's a, a possibility. I think this is strictly a hey, we're trying to get a deal done and pick up the pick up four unprotected picks, and the price to do that for us for the Utah Jazz is we got to buy out that contract. That's the option I think you're looking at. I just can't. I mean, just from all sides, I just don't see how Russell Westbrook ever plays for the Utah Jazz. I don't see how Jazz fans would embrace him. Yeah. And I think when you look at where this team is, he doesn't fit in here. I mean, if you're going to – the expiring contract obviously has tremendous value. I mean, anytime you can add $47 million to your salary cap, you know that's two, three players. Yes. that I mean, that is – It has value. There's no question about it. That is a massive amount of salary yeah. in, in any salary cap year. I wonder what the appetite of Ryan Smith is to pay that up front. And I, I think that's going to be an interesting question. I also wonder, if you trade Jordan Clarkson, you truly do not have a star on this team. Well, and if you trade Jordan Clarkson and Donovan and Bogey and Mike, you're rebuilding. You're going to be Absolutely. a bad team. You're going to be. And, and you you're going to be that twenty. But I'm team. down with that. I'm okay with that. Well, if you're going to trade Donovan Mitchell, you got you're going all in. It doesn't matter. Right. You're going to have forty seven million dollars in extra cap space at that point because I don't see this deal getting done without that. Right. I mean, you're not going to add. You know, and it depends. You know, sources have told me that the Lakers for the longest time have wanted Boyan Bogdanovich. I mean, they value him at a very high level. Right. But. Are the Knicks a team that wants to acquire Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell? Are a Knicks are the Knicks a team that are willing to send out? You know, obviously Fournier's deal has to be in this this trade. If if this three team trade actually comes to fruition, and I I think, you know, I was thinking about percentages. I've been at sixty five thirty five for a couple of weeks that Don goes to camp. I think right now it's 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 forty sixty. He does not. I think I think sixty percent he gets traded. Um, because the Lakers adding those two unprotected first round picks makes this deal happen for Danny Ainge. Mm -hmm. That is the that is the magical bar that this deal is needed to reach. And if it in fact happens, and again, I heard a couple of weeks ago that the Lakers have really tried hard to get this get a piece of this Knicks Jazz deal. I want it. And you've heard all kinds of ridiculousness that um, you know, they the 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 Lakers were going to end up with Donovan Mitchell. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bottom line is, if the Lakers end up with Jordan Clarkson and Boyan Bogdanovich, man, I think that pushes them into the top five of the Western Conference. And at that point, anything's possible. I think they're on par, certainly with Denver. I mean, Anthony Davis and Jeannie Buss, the owner of the Jazz, said this weekend, Anthony Davis has to be healthy, period. Anthony Davis has to be healthy.
and I think based on what we've seen, he is in tremendous shape. If you add Jordan Clarkson and Boyan Bogdanovich, man, they're going to be a tough team to to compete against. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the health thing is always the X factor. You know, I mean, I, 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 I think we can all agree, you know, you can add great role players <coughs> in bogey and, and JC, you can do that, and that'll make you much better. I I completely agree. But the problem is, is if Anthony Davis can't stay healthy, you're not going to go to where you want to go. And at that point, you wouldn't even have Russell Westbrook as an option for trying to get any type of production out of him. And once again, LeBron would find himself in a place where he's got to carry a team. And 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 it's no slight oh. to LeBron. I don't. I'm not hating on LeBron, but he is aging. He is not. He is not of the ability to carry a team on his own anymore, and there's no shame in that. Like, the guy's carried three franchises to championships. Like, it's at some point, it, it, it falls upon um, Anthony Davis to get his legs under him and to stay healthy. And I think this concept of having Anthony Davis play the four or the five is going to be crucial to that to that narrative and him staying healthy. I can kind of see it both ways, but I think in, with what they're talking about, they want him to play the five um, and and take advantage of that matchup, use his quickness to get get around these guys. And hey, if that works, great. If you have AD at the five, LeBron at the four, and then you've got this nice combination up front, like I, I, I get it, it works, but it all hinges on you actually being able to play basketball games, which has not well. been the case the last two years. I also think Malik Beasley plays a critical factor in this trade. I mean, for 15 million bucks, um, he, they need those numbers. Because remember, these salaries all have to line up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, what you're what you're sending out has to kind of line up with it's what you're taking back. It's not monopoly money, man. It's it's got to be structured. And if you're taking 47 million dollars and you know salaries like you know an IQ or a an Obi Toppin, you have to find ways to make those deals work. And Thanks. I think. I think Malik Beasley has tremendous value to the Lakers. If it's Malik Beasley and and you know Boyan Bogdanovich and and you look at that, that's you know what is that thirty four million dollars in salary? You know now you're cooking with gas. You're getting much closer. And then if if you're adding a you know if you're adding some salary to that, um, I mean the numbers are not that far off. We're getting you, somewhere. You know you're you're sending out you know sixty million dollars at that point and you're adding 47 i mean you can make that work you can make that deal yeah, work you can find a solution you know with between the knicks and look you I, can make that deal work i just still think that there's there's a lot on the line in this donovan mitchell deal i don't think that it's as straightforward as yeah we're just going to move on from donovan mitchell and we've got our four unprotected picks with two more picks and then we've got you know three players i don't think that that guarantees that the path is all of a sudden going to be laid out for you to be a playoff team again. And no. notice I didn't say championship team. I said playoff team. You do, you do not get an easy path to being a playoff team. It doesn't happen in the NBA. You have to go Man, out. Man, that is so true. Like You know what I mean? That and, is and so true. I, and I feel like we've all summer long we've had to figure out how to have this conversation almost on a daily basis. And you just start to think about it, and you're like, damn, dude, like this thing's been going on all summer long, and for what? I mean, really, for what? Like, I understand the Jazz are not a championship team right now. In fact, they're probably pushing to not even be a playoff team. It's going to be really tight, like, depending on how the West plays out and, you know, injuries, obviously. There's a lot at play, but you figure you're probably, like, if I'm being generous, you're probably high 30s and wins. Yeah. A lot of people have them at mid-20s. So there's a lot at play, and that's with Donovan Mitchell. So I can only imagine what this team is like without Donovan Mitchell and a new head coach. That's misery. Honestly, like I just, it, and, and so that's why I say 
cool, trade Donovan Mitchell, do the sexy deal. But then in December, when we're talking about how you've won 10 games, okay, we've got problems. And now we got to have the VW conversation. And I just don't want, I just think this fan base deserves more. So, and, and I still maintain, and I want to get your comments in here. I see everybody commenting. I, I don't believe, and this is just my opinion. I don't believe that the Jazz have any clear route to the number one overall pick in the draft. I think that's going to be very of, difficult. The level of bad basketball you'd have to play to get there, it would be astonishing. Well, like you in would, this this 2023 draft, Jake, is, I mean, I, I really feel like it's 25 guys deep. Like, yeah. there's a lot it's of a value. Draft. Yeah, there's a lot of value in this And by the way, draft. it needs to be said, hey, I'm Danny Ainge. I know how to leverage picks to get higher in the draft. And I could totally see him doing that. If if you said yeah. to me, we're going to trade Donovan Mitchell, we're going to war chest a bunch of picks through the Gobert and Mitchell trade, and then I'm going to make a team through by trading up in the draft by moving some of these unprotected picks. Okay, I can see that path. But I don't think the path of being a 25-win team and going that way no. to get up in the draft is at all what this front office is trying to do. No, and I, I think when you when you start to, to really look at what the Jazz are doing, they're not looking to be bad for a long time. They're not looking to, to tank and you know go the Oklahoma City route. Right. I think they are looking to get a mix of veterans and have some young talent that they can develop and may begin the 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 foundation of a five to seven year run of prosperity. Mm -hmm. That's I think more what Danny Ainge is trying to build. Yeah. He's not trying to tank for you know VW or the number one overall pick. That's just yeah. not the way you win a championship. Yeah. Because you found out this week with Chet Holmgren that putting all your eggs in that one basket rarely works out. In the That's NBA. out of the window. Yeah, it really doesn't. All right, let's get your comments. Caleb Harrison says, I just checked Donovan Mitchell isn't traded yet. Yeah, but do you see what I mean? Like, I completely agree with that comment. Like, like uh, you might as well just set an alarm every day at 5 o'clock to see if dude's been traded, you know? Like, come on, man. Yeah, come on. Caleb also says, what's up with Danny Ainge uh, coveting the Lakers picks? If we get those... Do, does that make up for Westbrook's buyout? I think it's it's just more assets, right? Because if you look at the Lakers, those two picks, what are they, 27 and 29? Yes. 2027, 2029. Yeah. The Lakers are going to have a tough time being good in 2027. So those picks have a lot of value. That's That's been the issue with these unprotected picks and the picks that the Knicks have, frankly, mm -hmm. is that they're not going to be bad. The Knicks are not going to be a terrible team. So you have these picks that are going to be end or mid-table picks, and it just isn't enough, frankly. For Donovan Mitchell, dude. Not Jordan Clarkson. Donovan Mitchell. Well, and again, I think it comes back to that question, ultimately, of value. Yeah. What is Donovan Mitchell's value? He is, if, he's, if he comes back a better player, if he comes back the player we expect him to be. I'm Shiva, the god of death. I mean, he, he is... I'm telling you now, he's a top 10 player. Yeah. I mean, if he averages 30 points a game, he's a top seven to five to seven player. Yeah. So I think you have to make sure you get you get value for him. Uh, Smooth B says, Cleveland said, no thanks, we're out. And the Jazz do, do want to trade him by training camp. I think Cleveland, whether Cleveland pulled out or whatever it might be, the Jazz had no interest in Okoro or Sexton. That just isn't a route to getting Donovan Mitchell on your roster. Yeah. So I I I have 
I have told you from the jump, I don't, I have heard repeatedly, Cleveland's not an option in the Donovan Mitchell deal. Not unless there are four teams at that point. Like the Lakers are an option because they have a player who can create immediate cap space and a player that can bring you two unprotected first round picks. So again, knowing the bar is four unprotected first round picks, that's what you're going to get. Two from the Knicks and two from the Lakers. So I could I can see that trade happening. Like I, I have no question in my mind Danny Ainge should do that deal if he were able to get four unprotected first-round picks, if he were able to get some pick swaps, and if he were able to get $47 million in cap space. Yeah. That makes a lot, a of, lot sense. of sense. One round left says, team stacked as is. I want to see this squad uh, the way it is now. <laughs> I think that's a. I think there's a lot of people saying that. You Add know? Whiteside and let's make a run, but that doesn't, that doesn't build years of contention. Yeah. You know, that's the biggest question. Uh, Luana Lou says, why does Tanner say stupid things every time he comments? He doesn't. Tanner doesn't say stupid things every time he, he comments. Uh, Smooth B says, Nick should not offer anything more. And we, with the, the title of the show Friday was, is it time for the Knicks to walk away? Yeah. Because I do think there was some, there was some logic to the Knicks walking away because if it was just Knicks and Jazz, there was no way for the Knicks to win this deal. With all due respect. Yeah. It, it, there was no way. There was no way for them to lose this deal. Yeah. Uh, M. Morris says, I think Utah uh, fan base is sold on Ainge. I would agree the fans are excited about that, As they uh, should about be. Danny Ainge. Uh, My Jazz fan says, let's rip the Band-Aid off. Do something or come out and say we're not trading Don so we can all move on and start building for uh, from the ground up. Start from the foundation up. Yeah, that's going to happen. I agree happen. with that. Yep. Kay Nuren says, I agree. Don may become the next Kobe or Michael in New York. I think he has a chance to be special, man. Special. I think he's young enough still. Like he's got it. It's time for him to get going, but I still think he's young enough. And I think that, that he just, again, speaking of injuries, like he's got to move on. And we've, we see this ever with every big time player. Tatum went through it. Book went through it. Donnie's going through it. Anthony Davis, obviously. They all have this two-year window in their development where they get a lot of soft tissue injury, and then they build their legs, and they get on the motivation train, and they play the summer runs, and they figure it out, and then they explode. And I think we're in that point of Donovan's arc where it's time for him to get to that next level, and I think you're going to see that. Let's see. M. Morris says throwing those two in brings Utah what? I think if you get two first-round picks unprotected from the Knicks, unprotected from the Jazz, and Russell Westbrook, that allows you to, I mean, you just changed your life dramatically. Yes. Um, again, $47 million in cap space on one guy. Yeah. On one singular player. And then you have four unprotected first-round picks going forward. So you can leverage those in any way that you like. You can protect them. You can unprotect them. You can move them. You can keep them. Like It brings you tremendous financial flexibility. That's what you're getting. And for a team at that point that would be rebuilding, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. But but I also do think as we uh, talk about the latest on the Donovan Mitchell uh, Knicks situation um, here on the Monty Show, I, I do think one of the things that you have to be careful with is that you at some point are going to have to come out and make a statement. Mm-hmm. Ryan Smith is going to have to come out and make a statement. Notice through all of the things that have gone on this summer, uniforms, Rudy Gobert, TV deal, now a Donovan Mitchell trade. 
Ryan Smith has not sat and and delivered with the media. Mm-hmm. And he needs to do that. He owes that to the fans, right? This is the new owner of the team coming in and making sweeping changes to the roster. This is the new owner of the team coming in and saying, hey, we tried but couldn't get a TV deal. We need Ryan Smith to sit and do interviews. Like, And again, we've asked repeatedly to have Ryan Smith on this show. Yeah, I mean, repeatedly. And we have been either no answer or declined at every opportunity. Yep. Ryan Smith at some point is going to have to stand and deliver. And if I were Ryan Smith... The, it, and I know this probably sounds extreme or whatever, but I'd be doing I'd be doing two town halls. I would be I would bring in every one of my season ticket holders. I would send out an invitation. I would bring in all my season ticket holders, and I would do a presentation for them. I would talk to them. I would meet and greet with them, because I think you're doing things that have never been done in the history of the Utah Jazz. Yes, yes, yes. You have never done this before, and that's a very good thing it's a very good thing yeah that you are not doing business the way it's always been done because the jazz have always been mediocre or just not good enough what now let me tell you what now and i think you're doing things very differently and i think ryan smith has to build a relationship with his season ticket holders and i don't think he is one of the things i i wish he had done a a better job of was being more available to his season ticket holders. Facts. I think that's really critical. Yes. Corporate partners, obviously. But he needs to be more... He need, He is the face of this franchise. Yeah. Whether Ryan Smith wants to be or not. You brought in another minority owner. You brought, you know, a minority stake in the, the, the you know, the, the, the RSL, in, in RSL. You're doing all of these things and not explaining any of it. You're not explaining any of it. Yeah. And it just is, it's time. Once this Donovan Mitchell deal happens, it's time. Questions have to be asked and answered. And not by the beat writers who are going to kiss your ass. Come and sit down. Come and do an interview. Come and talk with us. Let's have a conversation. Sit with media that are going to ask you legitimate questions where there's follow-ups, there's a conversation, where we can talk about things openly and honestly, that's what this Utah Jazz situation requires. And oddly enough, look at what the media in New York is saying. When has Leon Rose talked to the media? Not very often at all. Nope. They're saying the exact same thing we're saying. <clears throat> when this trade happens, some guys got to start being accountable. Some questions got to start being answered. Uh, Asgill says, uh, we're like a seventh seed right now with picks to make another move now. Young guys to develop with David Fisdale. Um, yeah, I agree. But you're not you're not built to win over a decade. And I think that's what Danny and Ryan are trying to build. Asgill also says, I was all in on the tank for Wemby, but studying big man durability and his own injury history has me very concerned about that. Let's run this team as it is now. I, I just don't mm-hmm. think that you can That's build easy teams. Route. Yeah, I don't think you can build teams around guys like Chet or VW or like look at Rudy Gobert getting dominated over the weekend by Yosef Nurkic. Yeah. You can't build teams around those guys. Yeah, I mean the team right now, yeah, admittedly would be probably a, you know, mid-table playoff team probably. I mean if you just ran seven out 7 to what, 10, I think. Like, you know, okay, 7 to 10, sure. Whatever whatever it ends up being, you're a playoff team. Great. Neat. 
But that but you're not a championship team. You're a, you're a, you're exactly what you were, a, a one and done. You know, maybe you make it through the play in and then you lose that first that first round, you know, playoff series. That's not what they're interested in. They're no. interested in building a window like the Warriors have, like, you know, any of these really successful teams have. And you know, like the Bucks have as an example, you know. And I think that that it's a process and it takes time. But to your point, I think this is why Ryan's got to speak on it. Ryan has yet to say, this is what we're trying to do. Now, what's the reason for that? Well, it doesn't behoove him to say that yet until a deal actually gets done. Like, once you trade Rudy and Donovan, okay, now you have a completely different franchise. Now you've just traded both the two pillars of your franchise, right? So that's why I say the time is coming. I agree. I would have loved to for Ryan to do more than he's done. Absolutely, I would have loved that, but I can understand why you haven't yet. But I'm telling you, when or if they trade Donovan Mitchell, when that day comes, he better be, like, same day or next day, having a press conference to talk about it. Because I don't think that you can just let the fans twist in the wind and make assumptions about why you brought in a, a, a minority stakeholder in your company to help you liquidate funds. Like, I don't think that you can let fans twist on that stuff. You need to define what it is that you're actually doing and then go and do it because that's the best way to go about it. You know, like that to me just seems logical, but we'll see what they do. We'll see. Yeah, I think the the more logical thing um, is that they're just going to acquire as many assets as they can and you're going to... Because you're going to have to trade for veterans. I mean, you're you're not going to sign free agents. Your next star is not on the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy you're going to win a championship with, in my opinion, is not on the roster. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what they're what they do. Um, but you know what? I think when I look at where the Utah Jazz are, I think they're in a they're in a really good spot. Um, you know, I I think Victor Wembanyama is going to be a really nice player for somebody. But when you are 7'3", and what is he, 190, I think, Victor Wembanyama, I think is 6'3", or 7'3", 190. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. I, I, what, is that what does that project to? He, he's not going to, is he another, is he a Kristaps Porzingis kind of player? Is he a low block player? Well, like, I think everyone's looking for the next Kevin Durant. Let's be really blunt about it. I mean, that's what... That's what guys yeah. of that size, weight, and ability um, remind you of. You see flashes of that similar, like, hey, yeah, Kevin Durant has been this really long, lanky, pretty, <coughs> over the years, over however long he's been in the league now, um, you know, pretty durable player. Yeah, he had he had the Achilles, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But overall, he's been a really durable player, and I think that's what people have been trying to replicate you know, with VW or Chet Holmgren or, you know, any of these other guys you want to look at. But the problem is, is that the guy who's 6'9 and 230 is way more durable than 7'3 and 190. You know, a little bit shorter, a little more weight, a little more muscle is way more durable in the NBA. I don't know. I think Scoot Henderson, I think um, the kid from Arkansas, uh, Nick Smith. I mean, those that that's that's who I'd be on. Yeah. Seven three one ninety isn't cutting it. No, and I understand that he is the Kristaps Porzingis comparison. I'm not interested in that. I I give me give me wing players that are dynamic. Give me scoring machines that are dynamic. That that's Kevin what I Porter would do. Jr. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Justin Salas, good morning. It says, though Danny wanted four unprotected first rounds for Don. I thought Danny wanted four unprotected first rounds for Don. So if we do buy out, shouldn't we be getting more than four unprotected firsts for Don and maybe one for Russ? No, I, I think you're... I think that the the win in Russell Westbrook is you're getting a ton of cap space. Yeah, because his deal is expiring. So you're yeah, he's you're, on a player option one year deal. If you think about it, you're moving. You, essentially, what you're doing is you're moving years of commitment in Donovan Mitchell, and you're bringing back for half a season, maybe or or maybe most of the season, depending on when the deal happens. You're bringing back that commitment, right? You're either going to have to pay him up front, or you obviously pay him the normal way over the season. But the point just is, as you head into that next offseason, you have huge amounts of cap space, all of these picks. So essentially, in general, you have a lot of flexibility, which yes. is where Danny Ainge thrives. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a lot of value in that. Now, let's see what the final pieces are. I mean, those obviously, you know, you're not, that's not the entire deal. And I think that's what people have anxiety over. What What is this team really going to be? What I mean, what are we... And you, the, we started this conversation with the question around burnout on this conversation. And I think that's part of what plays into it. Like, what are, if you're a Jazz fan, what are you actually looking at? What do you have to look forward to? Because you've lost Rudy Gobert. We didn't, but you know, you know what I mean. Like they yeah. didn't lose him, they trade him. But as a fan, you lost Rudy Gobert. Ton of Rudy Gobert support in the fan base. You're, I mean, you don't have a lot to hang on to. To lose Don if this deal goes through. And you've got a bunch of guys from Minnesota you don't know unless you're an NBA nerd. And you don't know what these picks and assets are going to turn into. That's what I think the trouble is. So I agree with the comments. We had a comment earlier that said we, we just need to rip off the Band-Aid and do the deal or don't do the deal and move the hell on. Like, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I just think that it's a, you know, these trades are amoebas, man. They take different shapes based on where you are. And I think Danny Ainge pulls the trigger at the moment that he gets a deal he likes. Yeah. And I, I again, you know, I, I again believe that Russell Westbrook, four unprotected for, uh, first round picks. I really, I'm a huge quickly guy. I'd mm -hmm. really like to see Emmanuel quickly nice be in this deal. Um, Obi Toppin's a take it or leave it. And if I'm the Lakers, I, I want, I, I want Beasley, Clarkson, Bogdanovich. I want a guy that can get me buckets. I want well specifically Boyan Bogdanovich because he can stand in the corner and make a yes, three. I was going to say, that's what they, I think they prioritize. Malik Beasley. I think Malik Beasley has tremendous value to them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because I think those, both those guys are dynamic. Jordan Clarkson shoots a hell of a lot. Yeah. And man, I think that's a tough pill for them to swallow. I, I could see Jordan Clarkson going to the Knicks. I could see that happening. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I just, yeah. I don't know. Four unprotected first round picks and $47 million in cap space is awfully tough to walk away from. Yeah. I mean, it just is, it, it, it really is difficult to walk away from. Michael Burton says Lakers first round picks won't be worth much if they end up being in the top four in the conference. But you got to remember LeBron won't be there. Anthony Davis won't be there. In 2027, can you really yeah, see I mean, Anthony Davis still there? What are you, what is that? Five and a half seasons, five seasons. I mean, you're, you're I mean, four. On. Yeah. Essentially five seasons. I mean, away. LeBron's probably retired at that point. Davis certainly isn't on the team anymore. I mean, you're, you're just in a different place. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ken Williams says no way I'm trading JC or Donnie unless I get a haul Westbrook and $47 million buyout. That's just stupid. Give a guy 47 million and get nothing back. Well, well, see, you're missing the point. It's not that you're getting nothing back. You're getting 
you're getting cap space. You're getting the ability to go and do out what go and go out and do what you want to do versus having to do what you have to do. And that's what that's what Danny Ainge walked into. Hey, we have to do this and we have to do that because of this Rudy Gobert deal and and our the way our cap is structured. So it's not that you're getting nothing back for Russell Westbrook. You you can't look. You gotta understand you can't have the vision of well, what is he gonna do for me today? Nobody gives a damn about what these guys are going to do for the Jazz this coming season. I'm just no. telling you now, like that's not the conversation you're having with this team. And and if it is, you got to change that. Like the conversation you need to be having is, all right, what are we going to be this year? How just how bad are we going to be this year? And if we somehow can put a team together that makes the playoffs, what does that look like? And who do we keep out of that playoff team to build a championship window? Yeah, around? exactly right. Exactly right. And I also think. Ken also says, let's make the Lakers a championship dumb move. Uh, well, but who cares about the Lakers? Yeah. You're trying to build yourself a foundation for, you know, five, seven, ten years worth yeah. of championship competition. So who cares yeah. about the Lakers? I mean, if if we if you only make deals to spite people, like that's just that's a mistake to in my opinion. Greasy hands. Uh, Auto Sean Butterfield gives us a $50 tip this morning. Dude, thank thank you. you. Appreciate that. Says, great show. I agree with all your sentiments. Was we as your fans love what you do? Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate that. I know today has been, um, you know, today's been an interesting show. It's very, thankfully, thankfully, it's atypical. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't tend to shy away from topics. The BYU stuff was a very heavy conversation. Right. Um, but you know what? I, I think they're important conversations. They really are. I, I just, I think they're really, they're important. Asgill says, wow, nice tip. Um, Utah, ja- Utah, oh, excuse me. Utah Jizz says, nice tip, <laughs> greasy hands. That's right, T. Yeah. You know, uh, San Diego State Aztecs 21 says, thanks guys. Time to uh, help some folks have to run. We'll check in tomorrow. Good job. Thanks. Hey, uh, see ya. Thanks, Aztec. Yeah. Uh, appreciate you. Um, you know, listening to the show and speaking of helping some folks, you want to help your house? Why don't you call Wayman Brothers Construction right now at 801-654-1028. Plain and simply put, the most trustworthy, the best finishers, the best contractor I've ever dealt with is Wayman Brothers Construction right here in Salt Lake City. 801-654-1028. I mean, whether you're putting a bathroom in, whether you need to renovate, Um, you're doing an ADU to add income to your property, whatever it is you need, and you need a construction uh, job done, call Wayman Brothers Construction because they'll build you a beautiful kitchen. They built me a deck um, with, you know, to go with my hot tub. So they poured me a pad, built me a track stack completely. You know, the other thing they did that we haven't talked about the last week or so since Wayman Brothers has been a partner on the show, they replaced my back door. And I know you might be saying, oh, they pulled some pins and put a new one in. Oh, contraire, mon frere. First of all, I asked them to find me the perfect back door they did. And I have these leveler blinds on my back door and they have all these little plastic pieces and not a single crack. They were not broken. They took care to make sure that those blinds did not get damaged, that the plastic pieces that make those blinds work were not damaged. And I said to them, hey, you know, I need a dog door. Can you cut a dog door into that for me? Perfect job. I'm for real. I mean, just... The attention to detail, the trim, the door, when we bought this house, our back door wouldn't close properly. It just wouldn't close properly. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't line up like the lock and the deadbolt. And it's and, super annoying because it's like really cold out and you yeah. get a little bit of a draft. And you got to push and pull and yeah. turn and yeah. lift. That door closes 
turns the lock, no problem. Y'all feel me? They installed a they installed a new lock for us on that door. Perfect. Like the little attention to detail things that you get from Wayman Brothers Construction, that's why you trust them in your home. 801-654-1028. Please do business with family, locally owned small business owners like Alma Wayman and the guys at Wayman Brothers Construction. 801-654-1028. All right, a couple more comments on the uh, Jazz Knicks Lakers potential of a deal. Caleb Harrison says, as a Jazz fan, I want to see what Don can do without Rudy. I want to see him as a complete face of the franchise and compete. I'll be sad if we trade Spida as a star. Yeah, I he's yeah. Go, he's going to get traded. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, Edwin says, if we get the Lakers picks in Westbrook, does that mean none of the young Knicks players are involved? I'm confused. No, no. Well, no, you're making a three-team deal, right? What do the Knicks get? The Knicks would, in this scenario, end up with Donovan Mitchell um, and likely one other piece to make the salary work. What would the Lakers get? The Lakers would get veteran players that help them win a championship. So let's say Boyan Bogdanovich, Evan Fournier, um, you know, other guys have been mentioned, but let's just say they wind up with a Beasley type player. Mm hmm. Those guys end up there. The Jazz would wind up with two unprotected first-round picks from the Knicks, two unprotected first-round picks from the Lakers, and you would wind up with Russell Westbrook's $47 million contract, but you would also likely end up with names like Emmanuel Quickly, like an Obi Toppin. I still don't believe the Knicks are going to trade Quentin Grimes as much as I would love to get Quentin Grimes in that deal. Yeah. I don't think the Knicks want to give him and the up. Question I, is, I really don't. The question is, in that scenario, um, is that a good deal? I mean, are you, the you know, the $47 million, and I think it'd actually be $47.5 million in cap space, is that that valuable to you? I think it's valuable, but but I think it's, it, again, this whole concept of selling a losing team to the fan base for a season or two is not a fun proposition. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Mike Monday says, I'm on the bye, Felicia train when it comes to Mitchell. Wow. Yeah, I mean, for your sanity, I can kind of understand why Jazz fans would be in that boat. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Touchdown gives mm -hmm. us a $5 tip. Okay. Sounds like Wayman Brothers can hang a door, but can they build a house for all my sister wives? No. Now, there's a couple ways I could go at this <coughs> comment. <coughs> Bro. But I think the best way to go at this is to read another comment. Caleb says <laughs> the Lakers will probably uh, want some of the Knicks players if they're going to give up both first. Yeah, I think the Lakers have no interest in young players. You know, I think they would far more be interested in. I think Emmanuel quickly would be a great fit on their roster. They need contributors now. Again, yeah. it's championship or bust. Yes. They're not in, they're not, there's no palette for young players that need development. Yo, Jimbo says if the Lakers trade their two unprotected first round picks, they will want RJ Barrett and Cam from the Knicks in the three team deal. I don't think so. I just don't think they're in a position to ask for that. Like, I don't I, think I, so either. I, I I don't think that the Lakers have leverage over anything. I mean, you're coming in as a as a third team with picks to offer, not players. And you got to remember the salaries have to match up on this stuff. And if you look at the if you look at where the the um, the Lakers are right now, the Lakers essentially have to be dollar for dollar. Yeah, they're really tight on the cap. There's no doubt they about that. They are super tight. 
on the cap. Obviously, Westbrook, I mean, Russell Westbrook, is making 47 milli. <laughs> LeBron's at 44, AD's at 37, Pat Bev's at 13. Lonnie Walker's at six and a Lonnie half. Lonnie Walker, man. Kenrick Nunn's at 5.2, but he was hurt all last year. Damian Jones, um, you know, Thomas Bryant. I think Thomas Bryant actually becomes a really important player for the Lakers. Yeah, when Anthony Davis gets hurt, totally. Don't be a jerk. Juan, Juan Toscano-Anderson, the Warriors bust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, I mean, you, you, don't, you need quality veteran depth. So you're going to slot Boyan Bogdanovich into your three spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think about what their starting five could be, if you're AD at the five, LeBron at the power forward, you know, whatever that might be, two, three, four. The biggest question for the Lakers is who's your point guard, right? So is that Mike Conley? Is that why you're bringing Mike Conley on? Okay, I could see that. Okay, well, who starts at the three? It's AD, LeBron, Boyan Bogdanovich mm-hmm. starts at the three. Okay, well, now who starts at your two? Like you have, you all of a sudden start putting all of these pieces together, you know, and, and you start to realize that, hey, now Austin Reeves comes off the bench. And, you know, like you, you have, hey, is that why Jordan Clarkson? Or, hey, is that why Malik Beasley? Or is that why Emmanuel Quickly? Is that why, yeah. like, everybody's going to get a piece that, that works for them. The Lakers want to win now. That's why everybody's talking about Boyan Bogdanovich and Mike Conley to the Lakers, who... Yeah. I think we told you a month ago the Lakers really like Boyan Bogdanovich and Mike Conley. They have a purpose. They have it, absolutely, and they can fill a role. Uh, let's see. DeCobbler81 says, cap space is worthless for a market like Utah. Can't attract free agents no matter the cap space you have. Well, au contraire, mon frere. <laughs> what are what? you talking about? <laughs> what? So you can't trade for players either then. Well, damn, you! did you know that rule that just came into the NBA apparently hey that nobody told us about where cap space can only be spent on free agents? Hmm. Didn't know about Didn't that. Didn't know about that rule. Hmm. I'll stop being a jerk. Edwin says, uh, does it matter which unprotected picks the Jazz get from the Knicks? They have a lot. They don't have a lot. The Knicks do not have a lot of unprotected picks. Uh, Caleb says the Lakers need Hero, Robinson, and Bogey in a Heat three-team deal sending Don to the Heat. Well, the yeah. Heat have tried. The Heat have tried. It's not un- It's not impossible, just not likely. Uh, Yo Jimbo says they will need Utah Jazz filler like Conley, et cetera. Yeah. Where did he say earlier? Let's see. Uh, if the Lakers trade their two unprotected first-round picks, they'll want R.J. Barrett and Cam from the Knicks in a three-team deal. They will need... Uh, potentially. Uh, one round left gives us a $5 tip. Thank you. He says, whether it's tank or no tank, it's trust and age. Yes, it is. Agreed. Hashtag TIA. Agreed. Yes, it is. Agreed. Yes, That's it right, is. T. That's right, T. Uh, Rand says, none better than Conley at this stage. I think Mike Conley still brings you very good defense. I think Mike Conley brings you defense. So if you're starting, the question is, who do the Lakers start at point guard? Because Pat Bev's probably your two, right? Yeah. Boyan's your three, LeBron's your four, AD's your five. Who's your starting point guard? That's the question. Who's it going to be? Yeah. Is it going to be a quickly? Is it going to be a Conley? If Mike Conley is the starting point guard for Patrick Beverly, Boyan Bogdanovich, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, that's a 50-win team. Especially look at what the depth might be then. Yeah. Is Malik Beasley coming off your bench? Austin Reeves coming off the bench. Austin Reeves like, is Kenrick Nunn is yeah. Obi Toppin is yeah, dude. Yeah. Like you have you can see why 
this trade makes sense. Yeah. Like if you put Mike Conley there and Pat Bev's your two, like now you can start, if you're the Lakers, you can start building towards things. That's why you need this trade. That's why the Lakers will give up Russ and two unprotected first-round picks mm -hmm. to make that happen. That's every day. Um, let's see. A lot of tips coming in. Appreciate you guys. All that money that you guys tip us goes right into infrastructure. So I really do appreciate that you guys... And there uh, is infrastructure coming. Trust me. The costs that we're going to explain to you it coming down the line are extensive. Uh, let's see. Nameless Ghoul 911 says, got to play the Anthony Street Clothes Davis drop. Love the show you guys rock. Anthony Street Clothes Davis. There you go. Nameless Ghoul. You pay, we play. Uh, <laughs> kind of like NIL, huh? <laughs> Jimmy Touchdown says, who cares about the, the uh, Utah Jizz in the NBA? College football is finally here. Heard Brian Kelly fled Notre Dame because he was scared of facing uh, the Marshall defense. Wow. I'm going to say that Brian Kelly fled the uh, confines of South Bend, Indiana because he wanted to get back to his southern roots and use that southern accent. He's oppressed. This is Coach Saban. For so many years. Right. I hope he loses every game for the rest. Of, I hate Brian. I'm a Notre Dame fan. Um, I cannot stand Brian Kelly. <laughs> I I can't. Uh, Caleb says, Bev is the one and Braun runs the position. They need a two guard. Yeah, I mean, you could look at it that way. I, again, I see, I think you just have options, man. The wear and you tear options, on LeBron bro. is a point guard. You have options, man. You do. You do. I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, Rance says, Heat probably missing none right now. Lowry's struggling. We'll we'll find out. Lowry looks. Did you guys see more tape of James Fact. Harden over the weekend? Yes, yes, yes. Two. Tape, tape, tape. Show me you can win something, bro. I'd hit that. Show me you can win something. Sorry, did you just say you would hit that? Whoa! Bro. That, that's the, you need the, so, the Sopranos. Whoa! Whoa! James Harden looks good. I'm telling you. Dude. He looks he I, there's so many guys in prove it years that you know we'll see. Uh Caleb Harrison says not to backtrack too much what Ainge did for the Celtics paid off later. I mean they did just make the finals. Maybe he can invest in the Jazz the same way. I don't disagree well, with that. Well, listen, Caleb. I mean he he won a championship while wrong. he was there with the team he built and then he left them in a better place than he found them and I think that's also critical to say. I think this goes back to what we were saying about Ryan Smith before. Ryan Smith isn't dumb. Ryan Smith, I think, is a very smart guy. And I think he brought in a guy who knows more about basketballing than he does. Yeah. And I think Ryan Smith wants to win. Ryan Smith is a hell of a competitor. I mean, he is really a competitor. You don't, Rock attack. You don't achieve the things that he has achieved and not be competitive. Like, he's a hell of a competitor. And my guess is you're going to see the Jazz win within the next five years. Mm -hmm. I, I just you give Danny Ainge those kind of resources, and I can't see them being bad long. Uh, Macho Man Savage says, "Love this show." Hold on, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. the Macho the Man, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> love this show. We need to have this conversation all the time. Uh, appreciate you, Macho Man. Brandon Trujillo yeah. says it's time uh, for a name change for BYU. You cannot explain away Brigham's racist beliefs and teachings that are in writing. Mixing races, being punishable okay. by death, etc. What's what? Okay, what do you want them to be? What do you want them to be? What do you want them to be? That's an interesting question. Don't tell me you want a name change and not have an example. It's it's very it's a very convenient platform to stand on. To say, oh, we need to change all these names. We need to take down statues. And I don't even disagree. I don't disagree that a name change would be good. But 
but come with a name change because Jamoke name change is not going to get it done for a prestigious university. You have to have something that really works and represents their values. And like, it's not as easy as just saying, well, we're going to take this sign down and put a new one up. It doesn't work that way, man. Last it's comment of the show. Yeah. Caleb Harrison says, if Don goes to New York, when they play the jazz, they'll be so that'll be so intense. Would love to see it. If the trade goes through. Wow. I agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, great show today. You guys now, before we leave, Tomorrow, we're going to make a massive announcement about the football season uh, on this show. Uh, we'll do that tomorrow. Um, this week, remember, we're off on Friday because I'm going to go sun my nether regions in yes, Hawaii. Yes, yes. Um, nude bathing will happen. Uh, I don't know people who bathe with clothes. Uh, we, got, we, got, we got someone else who tips, so I think we should read that one. Uh, oh, okay. Wait, hang on. Hang Get on. I just, okay. want, I just want to make sure they're investing. In the uh, Jimmy Touchdown gives us $5. Thank you, Jimmy. And says, record prediction for Southern Cal with USC being a directional JUCO. Wow, bro. I feel like they might be in over their heads playing in the Pac-12. Three and nine at best. Come on, bro. <laughs> Come on, bro. All right. Jimmy, let's, let's get back take to... Take your $5 and invest in rehab because I'm telling you, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Uh, they're not going to be three and nine. They're not. Um, we are off on Friday because I am flying to Hawaii. To we. We. I'm sorry. Two O's and Goose, boys. We are off on Friday because I am flying to Hawaii with Mrs. Monty, first class on Delta. No. Uh, Jake is flying first class as well with, with Mrs. Jake. Right. You guys are engaged? No, not yet. Okay. Uh, ring shopping? No. I no. mean, don't you want to piggyback on somebody else's... Never mind. Wedding and announce... Your... <laughs> okay, I'll stop. I'm going to get exercise from the demons of the family and you stuff. You got to fuck one, marry one, kill one. No, you Go. don't have to. No, I don't have to. Um, anyway. Oh. So oh my God. not engaged or ring shopping, Jake and his girlfriend will be on Delta as well. Uh, we're going to Hawaii for the next two weeks. We will be doing shows in Hawaii. We will be <laughs> sun. Yeah, we will be sunning our bits. Um, but tomorrow on the show, a major football announcement. Um, then on Thursday, a brand new sponsor joins the ball club. Um, and a huge one. Like a big, big, yes, big, big, big one. Yes. Um, that I'm really excited about. So a huge week on the show. Then we're off on Friday. So football Thursday, we will have full predictions on Utah and Florida, BYU as well. We'll have locks on Thursday. We'll have sex on Thursday. Bro, it's gonna locks. Be, it's going to be amazing. Locks, bro. Locks on Thursday. We're Holy back. Holy crap. We're back. We're doing locks on Thursday. My God. It's going to be amazing. Um, really huge conversation today. Thanks to Guy Holiday for joining the show. Uh, until tomorrow, say goodbye, Jake. Goodbye, Jake. <laughs>